Welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast that wades through more shit than Andy Dufresne at Shawshank Prison. As always, I'm uh, Mario Lanza. And I'm Jay Fisher, and Brooks was here. And I'm Mike Bloom, and I believe my elevator does go to the top floor. Hey, the temp's back. Hey, temp. How are <laughs> hey, you? I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I was able to, to make it through the flood of responses from the first podcast, and I've emerged relatively unscathed, so I hope that's good tidings. <laughs> I actually have a good bit of feedback for you. You'll like this one. This is from Survivor Sucks. This is from a user named Tontor5150. He wrote, Another great historians, guys. The fucking new guy did better than I thought he would. So, <laughs> congratulations, Mike. All right. I'm chalk up one for the fucking new guy. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. So, feedback has been very positive. We would like to thank everyone for writing in and congratulating Mike on a good job on his first podcast. We absolutely know we made the right choice, and... Uh, we're glad you guys confirmed that. We had a good time with him last week, and we're pleased to have him back. We had a good time talking with you through, like, what, two freaking episodes of this show? Like, <laughs> yeah. you, know, every, you know, we waited months and months and months, and then we finally come out with a podcast, and people are so excited, and they're like, oh, what a great podcast. Uh, it's okay. You only got through two, but, you know, <laughs> it's, it, it's good, right? <laughs> it's all about it all- the slow burn. <laughs> yeah. In all fairness, we had to talk about casting for like an hour and a half on the last one. So we have none of that preamble on this one. So uh, I think we could pretty much get right into the uh, meat and potatoes of the shitty part of All Stars here. <laughs> the shitty part? I, I have to say, I watched four episodes of this segment of All Stars today, right through the middle. And man, I, I just want to take my own life right now. That's how much joy I got out of that one. Jeff. <laughs> yeah, we'll get that. Oh, yeah. There's going to be so much fun in this episode. We got sexual harassment. We, we got, let's see, uh, sexually violation. You got, you got cancer. There's all sorts of fun stuff in this one that people like talking about. This is an episode of Degrassi. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, I didn't know we were in Canada, but, you know, I'll take it. <laughs> That's right. Everybody wants something and they'll never give up. <laughs> I know I'll make it through. <laughs> yes. Okay, well... I'm just going to start into this, unless, Mario, you've got some pithy quote or some tangent you want to go to before we get to episode three. I do have one thing I want to Oh, talk my God! <laughs> well, just because I got a lot of feedback about this. where I am people ask, my, I'm preparing my eyes to roll, so keep going. People ask me, how do you guys know that the winners were dead meat and all-stars? Like, a lot of people that didn't watch Survivor at the time, they were kind of making that up when we say that there was this huge anti-winner sentiment and that, and that you know, it only showed up in all-stars. But, like... I have to say, when I was doing my stories, like this is a good year and a half before there was an All-Stars, and I, I announced I was doing this All-Star story. This is all the feedback I ever got. And again, this is a year before All-Stars where the fans would say, why would you have a winner in your story? You'd know they'd be, they'd be voted out first. So this was kind of the crap I got even a year before there was a real All-Stars. And this is just from fans just coming down to me saying, you would never have a winners, winners in All-Star Survivor because they would be so dead meat. It's just ridiculous to think that CBS would even do that. So... Yes, it was widely known that winners would be toast in All-Star Survivor. So it's none of this, Jenna just dreamed up a strategy at the last minute to take out the winners. This was widely known. It, it's, we'll talk about this later in the show, but Richard even alludes to it in his final words, if you listen to the DVD, where he says, every charity event, charity event he ever went to, every Survivor he ever talked to, all said the same thing. If there's ever an All-Stars, we're coming after you first. You're dead meat, Hatch. So this was a widely known thing that the winners were going to be toast. It, was not, it should not have been a surprise to anybody. No, it it shows itself several times, and I will point out certain parts. Uh, what I 
I, I can't believe I'm going to say these words, but something that I do like about All Stars is there are opportunities for you to peel back the curtain. Uh, we've said on this podcast many, many times, and it it is the truth. The Survivor is really two things. There's what the game actually is on the island, and then there is the television show that we watch. And the problem is, is that people a lot of times can't reconcile the two. They can't realize, you know, that that what happened out there may it may be what we're what we're seeing on TV, but a lot of times it isn't. You know, they're they're framing a narrative. They're taking all these hours of footage and they're cutting it down. And you know, sometimes there's people with reaction shots, or you know, someone's talking about somebody and somebody's shaking their head, and it's like they're probably not shaking their head in relation to that person. They're probably shaking their head because like. I don't know, some weird animal walked by or something like that. But, you know, they're, they're using shots to, to frame a narrative. And, you know, this anti-winner sentiment, like, yeah, Jenna Lewis has said it sort of, you know, in the, in the first episode and, and whatnot. But other people say it, too. And this, this season's got, if you're, if you're looking for it, you can see evidence all over the place. that This anti-winner sentiment was not only just big amongst the, the fans and the people that read your stories, but it was with the survivors out there uh, on the island as well. It's uh, just rampant. And I think, the, at least from the feedback that I've seen, one of the big questions people have gotten, we've gotten from people who have gotten on the later seasons are, uh, well, the winners weren't really targeted that much in Heroes versus Villains, but it's all about context in this case. Heroes versus Villains takes place, you know, seven years later. Um, bad math, six years later, uh, where you know, Survivor was a thing. Yes, it's still an institution, but it's much less of a big thing. We talked in the first podcast about how big of a thing this was, and how something had never been done before, and how you even hear in some of these upcoming episodes how. Some some of the castaways say, I, I had to take this opportunity. I couldn't turn it down. This was a huge, huge opportunity. When Heroes vs. Villains rolls around, it's you know, we've had two or three returning player seasons beforehand. Some of these people haven't been on in quite a number of years. Some of them don't really even know each other. It's it's a completely different game. Um so it's it's a little bit of apples and oranges. The winners and some of the winners were targeted, but it wasn't as blatantly obvious as it was with this first All-Stars because, as Jenna said, it's get off our playing field. This is our game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was still very much a life-changing event to win Survivor back then. I mean, you would become a celebrity. Yeah, I mean, Survivor was huger back then. I mean, I, you can't, I can't stress enough. You can look... You can look on, like, I think on the Survivor Wikipedia page, they've got, like, the Nielsen ratings average for each season. I mean, you have to look at the ratings for All-Stars versus Heroes versus Villains. It's not close, because Survivor was still in its prime, you know? I mean, it wasn't pulling down first three seasons ratings, but it was pulling down just, you know, almost double what it is now. I mean, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's got to be, like, you know, way bigger than it is now. It was a bigger deal, smaller pool, smaller group of people. I mean, by the time Heroes versus Villains rolled around, 300 people have played this game. Mm-hmm. You know, so so people, you know, when you go to charity events, it's not like you're seeing the same few people over and over again. You're seeing a different, you know, it's like, oh, here's a, co- a few people from Token Chains, or oh, here's a few people from Gabon. I mean, you know, you may see different people all the time. And uh, I think, as Mike pointed out, time had passed. I mean, Boston Rob's second season is right now All-Stars. And his third season is going to be Heroes versus Villains. That was 12 seasons in between, Survivor 8 to Survivor 20. You know, and I mean, we saw him grown up 
by then. You know, he he was, you know, several years older and, you know, lots of things that happened in his life by that point. I mean, people changed. Plus, they had been able to see All-Stars and see uh, the damage that was done there. And, you know, with subsequent returnee seasons, you know, and the game is played different now. I mean, I would argue that now people play it so that they can come back. Whereas in those first seven seasons, you didn't play it to come back because that, you know, wasn't something that was on your mind. How how many winners were in All Stars? Was it five, four or five? I forget. Richard, Tina, Ethan, Jenna, four. Jenna, four. So just four. Yeah. So this is how strong the anti-winner sentiment was when my I, when I say that I think All Stars was kind of a joke of a season. This was not an eighteen-person cast. This was a fourteen-person cast because it could not start until the winners were gone. So that's how I look at it. I just kind of think it's a joke of a season. Yeah, there were fourteen people that could have won. Probably even less when you realize that Colby and Sesternino were never going to be allowed to win. So. It, it really becomes kind of a kind of a farce when you think about it. All right, we ready to get into episode three? Let's do it. This is the fun one. This is the one that everyone loved. <laughs> All right, so we just lost Rudy. The great American hero is gone. A great sentimental moment where they pay the plate of patriotic music. The hero of all heroes goes home. Then in his final words, he threatens to kill everybody, which is one of the greatest transitions ever. And now we segue right into episode three, which is the infamous Jenna episode. It's the infamous Jenna episode, but it's really funny because I almost see it in two parts. And, and the parts aren't even. You know, the, There's the part at the end where Jenna goes home and, and we get sad music. And there's a part in the middle where we get the sad music as well. But everything around it is just way different. I mean, I, I almost look at on the likes of you know, uh, the Ted and Gandhi, a grinding gate episode in Thailand where like, I mean, who went home that time? Was that Jed's boot? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody remembers. (laughs) Nobody remembers that. Right. You know, and like the dead grandma lie is what is that? Tawana that goes home? I think it's Tawana, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, It's Tawana. And so like, this isn't a Jenna boot. This is a Jenna leave. And, and, and it has its own weight in and of itself. But like, you can dissect this episode. This episode has clear, I mean, it has three different storylines that go on. And two of them, I think, intertwine isn't the right word, but they're on the same uh, emotional level. And then you have Jenna's thing, which is something different. But like, you know, the, the shelter building and the shark is two things. And then you have Jenna's thing. I mean, the episode is even labeled shark attack. It's not, yeah. it's not something yeah. to do with, you know, Jenna's thing. So like, I, I almost, I almost like want to put this into two sort of episodes, but this is just a fantastic episode uh, until we have to sort of think about the end a little bit, but you know, lots of fun stuff in here. Yeah. Though it does, does start out with, uh, I feel like in each of these episodes, we've kind of had at least one segment talking about how hard it is out there as was akin to the early survivor seasons. This time it's to the bug bites and all of the lovely bumps that we get to see on everybody throughout the rest of the season. Well, yeah. we, mentioned, we mentioned how many homages there were in the season to past Survivors and Survivor events. Clearly, this is an homage to Colleen Haskell. So. I was just, just going to say, Mario <laughs> sees everyone, you know, just riddled with bug bites and goes, Oh, Colleen, Aww. I miss you. Exactly. <laughs> That's so good. What, yeah, what do we got here? I'm just going through my notes here. It's just a bunch of bug bites. And this is where Jenna's already kind of beaten down, where... They're already mentioning that she's kind of checking out of the game. Yeah, it's 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 bookending, you know, this this episode. Like it's gonna end with Jenna and it kinda starts with Jenna because they're 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 showing sort of the the fact that everyone's, you know, covered in bug bites and the game's hard. And then uh you know, then they talk about how like she's not eating and she's thinking uh uh about about home and you know, Kathy and Lex are opining and it's like, you know, Kathy and Lex are sort of the voice of Mogo Mogo, at least for us camera people at the, at this time. So, you know, they're, they're telling us that something's not right with Jenna and we get, we get walking and sad music. 
And they, oh, they that's call, sad music. <laughs> they call her a walking zombie. Which is, you know, I mean, cut cut to the times we are now with Walking Dead and you know all these other things. I mean, that is that is super in the in in the rage. It's super gauche at the moment. <laughs> yes, well, I felt like also, I think it was a flash forward to Amanda Kimmel. It's like a preemptive homage. Or that. <laughs> the hottest zombies you'll ever see on TV are on Survivor. <laughs> all right, so what do we got here? This is where Jerry's said it's just like a weird energy going on in the game right now. People are doing like nervous energy. Yeah, they're it's building like, like they built like a a, a picnic table because they mm-hmm. had a lot they had nothing else to do and they were just kind of up and ready to go. But Ethan wants to try his hand at fishing this episode. Absolutely, he's going to step on the big man's toes. He's going to take Rupert's job. It's really funny because you know I feel like Ethan. You know you you've praised a lot of uh, compliments on on Ethan, and and that's fine that that you did so. It's really funny when when I watch Ethan play because Survivor Africa was such a different season from the other ones because there was no water there were no water challenges i mean it was i mean when marquesas came around again the it was back to the beach right and it's mm-hmm. like at least in the australian outback they were by a river so they could sit in the water and you know they could at least attempt to fish before the big storm churned everything up and then they couldn't you know all the turtles and, and all the stuff like that but like they had some sort of interaction with water in australia at least whereas with africa they just had like the elephant poop creek mm-hmm you know, and so like Ethan, you know, he's I mean, we've got these you know going out to try to get fish. I mean, this is all kind of new to Ethan. Yeah. And again, we get it later with Lex, too. Like, well, these guys don't fish. We've never seen them fish before. Now, right. Ethan's particularly interesting because I always like to refer to him as Charlie Brown in All Stars. Every single thing he does, he's failed. <laughs> But he keeps trying, you know, he keeps, he's going to kick that football every single time. And every single, single thing he tries this season, he will fail or be defeated by somebody. Now, I would say that, that Jenna Lewis is his Lucy for most of this, for the, of the season. But in this, in this scene, I actually think Rupert is his Lucy just because he talks about, it can't be a competition. It'll just hurt his emotions so much. Well, this, this is like the other side of Rupert, right? Like this is sort of one of those things where I feel like they presented him, you know, just as he is. And mm-hmm. it's like we needed the time and the perspective to just realize all the smug assholiness that goes along with Rupert. But, like, we loved it at the time. We ate it up, right? Like, Rupert's going to go out fishing. And it's like, remember, this is still in the middle of, like, super Rupert craze, right? And we're like, Rupert, love that guy. The beard, the tie-dye. He roars, and he's a fisherman. He goes out and fishes. He is the guy, right? So, like, Ethan's going to go out there and try, and, you know, Rupert kind of gives that kind of saying, like, oh, bless his heart. He's going to try, and, you know, it can't be a competition between him and me, because it's just going to hurt his emotions, and stuff like that. Like, that is so smug. That is, like, ridiculous levels of smug, but at the time, we were like, yeah, you know, Ethan, you, you probably don't want to go up against Rupert for fishing, because he's going to beat the crap out of you, man, because the, he's so good at fishing. Although, in a sense, Rupert, this, this is the scene, I think, where Rupert pulls Ethan aside and kind of tell, kind of tells him, like, don't kill yourself trying to fish like he's almost kind of being a mentor in a way which is what he does in real life to kids so yeah i can see it as not being douchey but at the same time the underlying douchiness is there just don't even try to compete with me because you will just feel bad yeah yeah that, that that's the thing like i i genuinely believe him like he looks smug and stuff like that but you're right he is a mentor to troubled teens he knows how to motivate people and get people going and it's like when when ethan was talking about the trouble with the tide and getting the fish and you know Rupert's like, you'll get better. You know, I mean, it's it's very, it, it, a lot of people can look at that and go, that's really condescending. But it's like, I actually believe him. He's telling him you will get better. You yeah. know what I mean? But but at the same time, like, yeah, it'll just hurt his emotions. I mean, Rupert's just basically saying he can't compete with me because I'm way better than he is. 
<laughs> yeah. It's it's like if Charlie Brown finally kicked the football and then like freaking Schroeder comes and kicks it way farther two seconds later. Yeah. Good job, Ethan. <laughs> it's just it's just one big oh honey. Yeah, honey, and that's, no. <laughs> that's really Ethan's whole story in All Stars, which is kind of endearing, I think, because he was like the golden boy in Africa where nothing ever went wrong. And it's just the opposite in All Stars, which I think is kind of fun actually. Well, as we're transitioning out of the scene, though, the scene is showing foreshadowing, ironic foreshadowing for later in this in this episode, which is going to be great. But if you're keeping tabs at home, this is one of two times that Saboga, you know, it has a happy moment. <laughs> the second one's going to be when they win an immunity challenge, which is, you know, fantastic. But like this one, it's like they're working together. Do they get something going? Jerry and Ethan and Jenna and Rupert are all sort of working. And, you know, even though we're little, we're going to be mighty. And, you know, you're like, <laughs> all right. Here we go. Saboga, the good guy tribe. Yeah, they voted out Rudy and we we, we miss Rudy because he's got a lot of friends. But, you know, we are going to go forward. We are going to be mighty. We are going to win. And so we, we're excited. And then the absolute perfect transition into the Richard catching a shark scene. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I had so much fun writing about that scene on the Funny 115. And I watch it now and I still think it's even funnier than I thought it was back then. It's, it's so I love good. this scene. Yeah, it's so great. So great. It's I've like really a- come, to the, come to the conclusion that Richard's maybe my favorite character in Survivor history. Every scene he is in is so much better. Uh, he's so good in this. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, I don't love it when they bring people back. I will say that. But what's funny sometimes is they bring somebody back for a future season in Survivor and they just eat up the camera. And, and you know, some people who were, you know, especially uh, I'm bringing Jervis into, into here from, from uh, you know, they brought him back in Blood versus Water from Survivor Borneo. And, you know, a lot of people were like, Jervis, that's an odd choice. And, you know, people like myself and I know Mario were like, no, Jervis is great. You know, it's not like we love that they're bringing him back and all this sort of twisty sort of stuff. But it's like, Jervis is going to eat up the camera. And he did. You know, and it's like Richard, it's like you can see why they cast Richard for Survivor Borneo and, and all that sort of stuff. Richard is just a character. Yeah, forget yeah. that he won. It does. It's like irrelevant in my mind that he won. He's just a great character. Yeah, I, I guarantee if you... Take, I mean, the the cast of All Stars was a, a group of comedies and a group of great storytellers. But if you take a lot of other Survivor contestants and you have put them through the same shark bite story, and you sit in front of the camera and you say, "Okay, tell us what happened," I guarantee you there will be nobody that tells it with as much theatricality or <laughs> provides their own sound effects like Richard Hatch. <laughs> That's right. And it, this is, of course, where we learn the answer to the key question: Is it possible to call a gay man a stud? <laughs> Now, well, you know, we we don't have the gay perspective on the show. We didn't hire one of the gay temps, so I can't answer that. But I, I do appreciate that Colby brought up that issue. It's an important issue. I mean, <laughs> I, I love the way he's narrating it. You know, they've got him out in the water, you know, and he's he's just like, I saw it down there. And then I'm thinking, hmm, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? You know, he's like, and he basically is, he basically comes to the conclusion that he's going to reach in and grab the shark, which is like the ballsiest thing I've ever seen in my life, right? Like, he's like, the shark was just, you know, sitting there under some rocks or whatever. And his instinct, I mean, he's like, how am I going to do this? He just had like a stick and he's like, well, I need to grab it first. So he like grabs it with his hand and then he's poking it with a stick. Like who does this? This is amazing. <laughs> I'm just laughing, picturing the scene. I don't even yeah, know no, what but to I, say about it. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, he's kind of like looking up at the camera and he's got that smirk. Like he's just a great storyteller, you know? And then he finally talks about how he jams it. And then the, the thing just bites him and, you know, and then, you know, he's like backpedaling in with the shark, like biting his arm and latched on, you know, and, and he's backpedaling and he finally gets close enough to shore to a rock where he can, you know, 
raise the shark out of the water and then start bashing it against the rock to kill it. And it happened, he backpedaled for half an hour, which is like the most... With a shark attached to his arm. (laughs) So leisurely. I can just imagine being like one of Mogamogo's tribe members, just like looking out the ocean and seeing Richard just swimming around being like, oh, okay, and just getting back to work. You know, they zoom in on the shark. They show the shark afterwards, you know, and they have the fun thing where he talks about how he bit the shark because he was, you know, so frustrated or whatever. And, you know, everyone's excited about that. But, you know, you look at the shark, you look at its mouth. It's got it's you know, it's it's got kind of like those shreddy little I mean, it doesn't have like the rows of shark teeth. You know, it's it's more of a, you know, but I mean, it still looks like it hurts super bad. You know, it's, this thing is just like latched onto him and he goes to shore and you know he just is like i want this thing now i mean it's richard right like so he's he's just taking it to shore and then he kills the shark and then they're all just eating the shark it's ridiculous and it ends with that great quote where richard just kind of looks at the camera and says he bit me i ate him yep (laughs) and they're eating the shark and i I think what's what's fun is that uh you know a couple good quotes as you mentioned like you know with with colby with the is it possible to call a gay man a stud (laughs) which i believe the answer would probably be yeah Go ahead. And, and then I just love the fact that Sheehan is like, he bit a shark that bit him. That's Hemingway-esque. Uh, I love when she says, he may not be impressive downstairs, but he's very impressive <laughs> in other ways. <laughs> you can't possibly compliment Hatch without also making a dick joke. Oh, uh, That's what I, I love about the first five episodes of All-Stars and rewatching these is how many both intentional and unintentional dick yes. jokes there are due to Richard <laughs> being naked. And they come up a couple more times even in this episode. It's oh, yeah. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This why I think is what Colby just refers to him as a 260 pound gay shark catching fisherman or something. That yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. All right. So yeah. So we got the great again, and like Jay pointed out, I have a hard time reconciling that this scene is in the same episode as the Jenna episode. Right. That's astounding. That's the same episode. Right. And it's one of those things where like this is a whole segment, right? Like it came in from commercial break, and we've got Richard and the shark, and then it ends and it goes to commercial break. Like you got a full. I mean. What is a commercial break? Like eight, nine minutes of television? Yeah. Like that's what this was. I mean, it was just this whole thing. And then we come back in from commercial and we see Saboga going to tree mail and it's the Home Depot box, right? Which Ethan shrieks like a, oh you know, like a child. <laughs> he brings up his shirt to his face. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think this is where we, we segue into the great Tom and Sue fight, which continues. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So on Saboga, we get the Ethan shriek, and then they basically we see them kind of reading a little bit of the challenge, and we see that the thing has got nails in it, and you know, building supplies in this Home Depot brand box. And then we get over to Sue and Tom, who get the thing, and you know, then they start talking we're like, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna build something," and you know, and she's like, "Well, you're not gonna build it this way." It's a, and he's like, and he's like, "You get the log, and it's a load bearing log." She's like, "No, babe, you're gonna do this," <laughs> and they're just like arguing, and they're not even. I mean, they have barely read the clue. <laughs> they're just going back, you know, to bringing the Home Depot box with them, and they're just arguing about like something that hasn't even been conceived on happening yet, which <laughs> which which then has some good quotes afterwards. I, I feel like I feel like Sue is the like the the nega James Miller of this season because every time like they get tree mail or something happens, she's like, oh well, our tribe sucks, we're gonna lose. <laughs> well, we lost. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like well, when she gets tree mail, it's like, oh, this is gonna be a disaster, and it's like. The complete opposite happens every single time she says something bad will happen. It's funny you watch Sue and Tom, and they're like an old married couple, the way they bicker. I mean, it's like instantaneous. Yep. It's they, like there's there's more sexual tension there than like Sam and Diana on Cheers. 
I wouldn't go that far, but yeah. you know. <laughs> Will they or won't they? <laughs> yeah, well, surprisingly, they don't. Well, <laughs> yeah. The two, the two, the two quotes here. One Mike alluded to earlier, which is the you know, ain't no doubt in my mind, her elevator don't go to the top floor. <laughs> yeah, but I do like the one where he's just like. How I made it to 48 without Suhawk leading me by the hand is a mystery. Yep. And he also uh, drops, she's a hag from hell. Oh, he's going to say that a couple more times before Sue leaves. <laughs> yes. So, Sue, an interesting storyline in uh, All-Stars. We'll just leave yeah, it at that. The hag versus drunk storyline. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a heartwarming tale is what it is. <clears throat> All right, well, we go to Shapira here, right? Yeah, you know, and, and I think Amber reads more of the clue and basically says it. It's that they've got, you know, a day to build a shelter, um, and they can use the supplies in the box, which is nails, and, and they've got simple tools, and I think, you know, a tape measure, and, you know, building sort of things. And it was like, you can use all the natural environments around there, and we're going to judge it, and if you win, you get good stuff. And... They have to, you know, only four people can build it. So a couple of people have to sit out. So I think Sue sits out and I think Amber sits out. And, you know, mm-hmm. this is where Sue has the quote or the confessional where she's just like, I hope they lose this challenge just to bring him down a notch. And it's like, what, Sue, they're building a shelter. You want them to lose a shelter building? <laughs> so you're, on, you're on their tribe. <laughs> uh, this is really interesting, actually, because on both Shapera and Mogo Mogo, it, it, there's kind of a, in the four people that, work on the shelters there's a clear divide between two that actually build the shelter and two that are kind of delineated to like <laughs> do accessories do creative things yes whereas saboga just goes in like whole hall but then interestingly we know about the tribe that loses is the one that happens to all work together well and go in a whole hall well yeah and i always love you know each tribe they do the people doing the guy stuff the building and people doing the girl stuff which is the gathering and the the little uh, feng shui, if you will. But uh, it's funny on, on uh, Shapira that Rob Sesternino gets put on the girls section, which I always thought was funny. Yeah, I think he, uh, he felt really bad about that just because <laughs> he, uh, he talks about it in his confessional about how he's like, all right, time for me to build things with Big Tom and Mariano. And then he gets sent to go collect rocks with Alicia for the <laughs> Zen Garden. <laughs> yes. By the way, again, I don't think a lot of newer fans remember that Rob Sesternino or uh, Merritt Mariano worked in construction. That's what he did back when he had like a real non-reality TV job. He was a construction worker. So this was absolutely right up his alley, this challenge. Right. You know, and the thing about it is, is that I don't know all of Rob C's background, but I would probably wager a guess that his construction knowledge and experience was (laughs) less than Rob Mariano's and Big Tom's. Like, (laughs) what? How dare you? How dare I? But, you know, the, the thing that made Shapira do this so well was that it wasn't, you know, what we see edited, you know, narratively is that Boston Rob took charge in this in this thing. And I'm sure that he did. Right. I mean, he's just like, hey, I'm in construction. Let me do this. But like you could see him and Tom like they had like a piece of paper and like a, a drawer, or, you know, one of those carpenters pencils. You can tell that they just sat down like their shelter is basically just a, a four wall shelter. Like, you know, mm-hmm. they did all the cool things around it. But like. All they did was build a basic frame, right? Like they didn't do anything that was like ridiculously complicated or something like that. So it's like I bet you Rob just, you know, it sat down on the paper and said, "All right, here's the plan. We're going to build this four-wall shelter. We're going to use these materials." And it's like Tom's done a lot of construction in his life and it's like Tom, it's not like he's some sort of sheep follower or something, but it's like Rob probably built like a basic thing and Tom's like, "That sounds great. Let's do it." You know what I mean? And they just sat down and you could see them working together, getting things plumb, making things square and all that sort of stuff. And and it's like, you know, 
other tribes, you know, they I don't think they had quite that whole lockstep. Like Rob was like, look, I'm in charge. I've done construction. Tom, you're going to follow me. You've done construction. It was like they had a very sound, you know, sort of pecking order in their mind about it. And those two got along really well. A lot of people, of course, just think of Survivor from strategy terms, like who's the alliance, who's your, who's the sheep, who's the leader. But like Rob and Tom seem to get along real well, just as kind of human beings. Just this isn't the only instance either. And as uh, Shapiro starts getting to work, we also see Amber is getting a little hot and bothered by watching her uh, future man do a little <laughs> construction work. <laughs> yes. And here we, and this is where it starts. Although I guess it started earlier, but it's it's starting to ramp up here. The Amber and Rob love story, right? And, and now she's realizing it's not just strategy. Maybe she kind of has the hots for this guy, right? I mean, it, it's all well and good. I mean, like she said, you know, it's getting easier and easier to to flirt with Boston Rob. But it's like, you know, it's always one thing if a girl's going to like flirt with a guy that she's not attracted to. Like she probably was attracted to him, but it's like you know they're going along. He's doing his thing. He's in his element here. He's having fun. She's just like, you know what? I think I like this guy. And it's like, well, good. Yes. And I mean, Rob's, Rob's, he doesn't get to play with the big boys now. No, he doesn't get to play with the big boys. And, you know. The kid's on a never-ending coffee break. It's It seemed <laughs> tough, you know, because I've heard Rob talk about this uh, a bit. And, you know, Rob was just like, I did. I just ran because, you know, all the materials that they were using to build, like Alicia and I had to go get. And it's like. He's like, I would make runs, you know, and, and get stuff that was like really far away and stuff like that. And, you know, he says, I, I didn't really take a break ever. I think he's like, I think I took a break once. And I don't even know if when Rob, Rob Mariano says that thing, I was actually on the break the one time. But I mean, you know, Rob C points out several times and you could tell us. And when my wife was watching this episode, she's just like, he works the camera talking about Rob, Boston Rob. He yeah. works the camera so well. Yeah, he so steers like, the narrative. Yeah, he steers the narrative. So like, he probably doesn't think that about Sesternino at all, but he's gonna say it because he knows that you know that's something that they may use. Well, yeah, he probably knows Sesternino is gonna be voted out, and they they need a good reason to explain it in the episode. So he's kind of thinking like a producer almost. Yeah, yeah, it's yep. really interesting. I mean, we'll obviously get to this with Rob Sesternino getting voted out, but it's really interesting because the first couple boots in Rudy and Tina were really, and Tina specifically was less about anything other than they were a winner. And Rob C., near his boot, had a little bit of the, oh, he's really smart, he's too smart. But starting in this episode, we get a little bit of an edit of like, well, he's dumb and lazy, so yeah. we're going to vote him out for that reason, which really wasn't the reason at all. Yeah, it's that was a really kind of an unfair one, and I've I've heard Rob complain about this. Now, he's kind of a gentleman. He won't complain about it that much, but I know it probably pisses him off he got that edit. Especially getting bossed around by Alicia. Yeah, that actually, my wife loves that scene where, where Rob's like, "Hey, Alicia, why don't you get some rocks?" She's like, "No, how about you get some rocks?" <laughs> no, my wife, like, my wife no, always laughs. No, you want to get some rocks? <laughs> yeah, honey, and she throws in honey because Alicia always does that. <laughs> no, it, it's good, but but they're they're doing their thing. But but oh my god, can we get to Saboga already? Yes, well, Jay has been waiting what four years, his uh, nine years to, to get to this. Oh scene. my so, god, we'll just uh, kind of sit back and let Jay, you know, jerk off to the scene here. Oh, my God. Like, everything about this is fantastic. Like, you know, even beforehand, like, I don't even know if it's here or whatever. I think it's beforehand. Like, 
we get the shot of Sabogo where Ethan is explaining the challenge and he's like holding the axe like Paul Bunyan soccer player. <laughs> like, you know, first of all, that's ridiculous. That's that's fantastic. But like then they're talking about the shelter and Rupert is going to be the Boston Rob of this tribe. He's going to take charge. And he's like, I've, I've, I've been a rehabber. I've worked on houses like, you know, Rupert's worked with troubled teens. He's probably done, you know, stuff where he's built housing for people and, and whatnot. I totally believe Rupert when he's doing these things. But it's like. He's just like, I know, we can build a log cabin. And it's like, okay, a log cabin, that's fine. But then he's like, we can dig down in the sand a few feet so that you could stand up in the cabin. And what's funny is that, like, you're hearing this and you're like, what in God's green earth are you thinking of in your mind? Like, he's saying this and you could see, like, the other three, like, even Jenna Lewis, they're all just looking at him, like, really uneasily as he's talking about this. But it's Jerry that's actually going to say something and she's just like, are you sure that's what you want? And Rupert's like, you got to catch the eye. We're being judged. Like Rupert yeah. gets steered off here because Rupert is thinking about the competition of it, right? Yeah. Well, Whereas, but he has a great quote. Rupert says, do you just want like a normal shelter or do you want an oh my God shelter? And he ends up making an oh my God <laughs> shelter just in the wrong way. Just in the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. but, it's, all about, it's all about functionality versus creativity. Like you talked about, Shapira, I mean, they had the swing and they had the Zen garden, but otherwise it was a pretty standard shelter, but at least it serve the basic purpose of shelter <laughs> right yes. so like rupert is like i'm gonna build this log cabin and you can see jerry's just like i just want a place we can sleep and and you know rupert's just like you know we're gonna do it and it's like jerry's like i don't know if it rains and it comes in the shelter we're screwed and it's like here's jerry actually saying what is what is eventually going to happen to them and it's funny because jerry has been in a shelter that was destroyed before so she understands this Right, like they're not in a they're not in a creek bed, and you know Jerry has to take total not total responsibility, but I mean it was it was the girls and and Jerry was again being the voice because she doesn't mind being the voice, but you know they were all like we want to build it down in the sand, and you know Roger and stuff was like I don't know maybe we should build it up above ground, and they were like no down on the sand, and <laughs> you know well that wasn't good. Well, you know in Australia they build it in a, an existing creek bed. Rupert goes one above that where he creates a creek bed and then he, cre- <laughs> he creates a creek bed and builds it. Like they're on a, they're on a beach and it's in rainy season and like I mean they're literally like what thirty yards from the water yeah. like they are so not far away from where the water is like what on earth is, is thinking this is a good idea and like they're just they're you know what's funny is that like with Shapira you can see them they got like cut logs they're like making square corners and it's like you just see Rupert and Ethan just digging a hole in the sand for like a long time which is ridiculous and I also love the fact that like Jerry's like let's bring it to a vote and Ethan is just keeping his damn mouth shut well yeah absolutely he wants to stay out of it I know and and, you know he does give the good confessional where he's like oh Jerry and Rupert are in a fight perfect that's what I want you know and he's like she's got very valid points I don't want to dig down and live underground but I'm not going to say that because when you piss someone off you know you know people are going to be going home and it's like it's a shame that this shelter happened because it's like, you know, in my head, it's like if Ethan says something, if Ethan says to Rupert, look, dude, maybe we should just, you know, we can do your log cabin. Let's just do it over here and not dig. And, you know, if he wants to steer it some other place, I'm sure Sabogo would have probably lost this challenge anyway, because I don't know if anyone's beating Shapira's. But like they're not going to have some disastrous shelter. Yeah. and whatnot but ethan is he's a winner he's on the ropes jenna lewis has already pulled him aside and smugly said yeah we're voting you out because you're a winner you ex-boyfriend and so it's like he's not gonna say anything at that point so it's like the game has ruined saboga shelter 
Yeah, I heard that uh, Jenna Lewis approved of the shelter because Rupert promised there'd be a glory hole in it. <laughs> temp. Well done, Temp. <laughs> I'm speechless. That was that was that was beautiful. We've earned, we've earned our explicit rating on iTunes. Well done, Temp. <sighs> so that means now that I've, we've earned it, we can just break all barriers, right? right? Well, yeah. Once you cross the barrier, yeah, it's like breaking the sound barrier. So we just go away from Saboga for a bit because we get the scene where, like, you know, it's funny because on Shapira, you see Boston Robbie takes the lead. You see them working well together and Amber, you know, getting all hot and bothered over Rob. And you're like, all right, these guys have got a plan. Then you cut to Saboga where, like, Rupert's like, I'm going to build the stupidest shelter ever. And everyone's just like, eh, okay. And Jerry's like, Does, do we want to talk about it? And everyone's like, eh, no. <laughs> it's like... So- it's like Silence of the Lambs. He's building Jamie Gum's death pit. <laughs> oh, no. He just puts Ethan in there. Into the basket, the Jerry. Into the basket. It puts the lotion on its skin. Your feelings will just be hurt if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let, me, so let me cut to Mogo Mogo. And, uh, you know, Lex and Colby take, take the lead. And they're like, we are going to build ourselves a second place shelter. <laughs> well, I got to say, you know, Lex gets a lot of crap for All-Stars, and everyone remembers Shapira having this awesome shelter, but they had a really good shelter, and that was some really fun and funny scenes and banter between Lex and Colby. So I was, like, pointing out Lex had some really good moments the first couple episodes of this season. Yeah, yeah they- I, do love, I do love their banter about, like, just the confession of the two and them being like, all right, so we're thinking about making a treehouse uh, we're going to put up here, can make a, out there be a crow's nest, or we like to call it the love nest. <laughs> love nest, indeed. When you got Richard Hatch on your team, there's a lot of love. Yeah, it's too much love. <laughs> These guys are great. Oh, yeah, it's good. You know, and, and Rich is like, well, Rich is sitting out because <laughs> Rich is like, well, this is work. I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that was one of, all my, one of my favorite confessionals of the season where Richard's like, uh, Rich, Lex and Colby are building it, and Sheehan and Jenna are helping. These little air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so Richard's just having so much fun just mocking everyone. That's all he does this entire season is mock everyone. Well, you know, he does mock them and it's funny because I don't know how into it they were getting and stuff like that. And I don't know how much Col- Colby and Lex were letting them get into it, but then, you know, they were they were thinking, you know, obviously they were tasked with coming up with aesthetics. Then we have this like shot of them you know, going over basically just a brainstorming sheet of things <laughs> and they're made to look stupid. And it's like when you when you sit and think about it, you're like, they were asked to brainstorm aesthetics and they did. Yeah. And yet we're the scene is presented is like, look at Sheehan and, and Jenna, they're they're being stupid in these sort of, you know, uh you know, aesthetic things. Because they're like, oh, maybe we can have like a dumbwaiter or a pulley or, you know, some sort of rock garden, which Shapira totally does, right? You know, (laughs) or maybe like a coconut phone and blah, blah. And it's like, you can just see that they are so, like, it's edited so that the boys are so not listening to them. And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, you're not winning. (laughs) I should point out, again, just as a a juxtaposition here, that all this is going on, well, meanwhile, off to the side, Jenna Maraska is breaking down because her mother's dying of cancer. So just... Pointing that out, this is the same episode as that. Uh, so we do, we do have, again, another nice uh, naked line where Kathy's standing right next to naked Richard and says, I can't tell if I like the front or the back better. That's the best. <laughs> that's the greatest. That is the best. <laughs> that's, that's editors having so much fun with the material. <laughs> and then I think right before that is where Colby says, we got to build a big to support a 250-pound shark-catching gay fisherman. Right. You know, and, and we get we get a little bit more of Jenna just, you know, my mind's not here. My mind's at home. My mother's sick. And you're like, oh, yep. Yeah. 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 
You're in there. And then we have to cut over to Saboga. So not only are they digging the worst shelter ever, they're digging into the night. So now it's pitch black. <laughs> they're digging. They're like stacking up logs and they're like hammering these logs with these ridiculously long nails. It's like almost like I was thinking like Abraham Lincoln should come with this like railroad spike and like kind of come down <laughs> and like hammer these things together. And like, I mean, it's just the scene of like Rupert and Ethan like nailing nails just in the in the night vision cam going on. But then the fact that like they were digging their shelter and they basically dug and found that like there's a gigantic fucking stump like in the middle of where their shelter is like oh, this is just the dumbest thing ever that like they just sat there and they were digging and they're like, oh, we hit a stump. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny that people at one time or even still today consider that Rupert was successful at Survivor. He's really never been successful at anything on Survivor except fooling Russell once with a fake idol. That's about it. Well, to be fair, Rupert plays this game almost exclusively with Jenna Lewis, and Jenna Lewis is the worst ever in this season. (laughs) So not only is Rupert not successful, but he was not successful with someone else who was not successful, so it just made fun. Wow. Mm. A little dyad of failure. We got to fast forward to the next day because now we get the man himself, (laughs) Rafa. Yeah, I said at the end of the last podcast that I just kick myself every time I look through the Funny 115 and that I did not give Rafa an entry. And I don't know what I was thinking because he kills. Every scene Rafa's in kills me. Right. You know, because Probes comes on there and it's like, Probes, they, we start at Mogo Mogo, right? Like, let's start at second place because, you know, obviously we won't show you the best first and we won't show you the worst. You know, we'll, we'll start at Mogo Mogo first, right? And he gets off the boat and, you know, Probes is like, hey, how you doing, guys? Hey, Colby. I love you, Colby. How you guys doing? How you doing? Yeah. This is Rafa. Yeah. Rafa's he's gonna, the man. He's a licensed... Gonna, he's going to beat the shit out of your shelter. <laughs> yep. a, I love it. He's like, this is Rafa. Rafa's a licensed contractor from around here. And I'm like, he's from these islands? Like, <laughs> we found him. <laughs> <laughs> he's just a roaming, roaming one. He drives around in a boat and looks for shelters to look at. Now, look, Survivor has brought people that are native to an area that, you know, look like they would be living in, you know, a, an island-type environment. But Rafa looks... I mean, he's wearing, like, Tim the Toolman Taylor shirt and, like, jeans and, you know, all this stuff going on. Like, Rafa does not look like he's from around there. He looks like he's from the mainland where people live, you know. But, like, he's just like, he's from around here. He's a licensed contractor. He's the one you have to impress. I mean, Rafa is just deadpanning this whole thing. He's got, like, this smirk on his face. And then, you know, Jeff, like, gestures to him, like, hey, want to? You know? And, like, what I love about these this scene with rafa is rafa is not communicating with these guys at all like he's just you know he knows he's like he's been hired by survivor to go with jeff probes and he's going to look at these shelters that these you know people living on an island have built and so you know when jeff gives him the green light he's just going to go inspect the shelter and do his thing and so like what's funny is that then like these people are trying to talk to him like, I love that they're like, you know, and they do it in all three camps, but like Mogo Mogo and Sabogo, especially, like, they're really like trying to sell this thing to Rafa. And I'm sitting there going, like, this isn't on the market, Lex. Like, you, you, can, you can back off a bit. He loves talking about curb appeal. That's all he talks about. And he's just like, you see the outside with the curb appeal? You see this right here? This is a good thing. It's, uh, it supports all of us, you know? And I mean, Rafa just gets in there and he starts, he gets underneath because they built that treehouse, right? So he gets to the underneath supports and he just starts like whacking away at it and like shaking it. And he's like banging on things. And I mean, it's funny because he's like shaking it to the point where like you, you can see like Lex and Colby, like you can see their concern in their face. Like, oh my God, is he going to think, is he going to 
blow this thing down? Is he going to shake this thing totally down? And then when it becomes apparent that they're not and he's just shaking the shit out of their shelter, like Colby's like, oh, yeah, go on, baby. <laughs> well, there's that great visual of Colby watching Rafa and Colby just has to turn away and laugh because he just sees his shelter's about to be crashing down and, <laughs> and Probes kind of laughs because he can see Colby's reaction. It's just a funny little visual. Yeah. You know, and like Lex just keeps like trying to sell the shelter, like, oh, this is our, you know, lovely little sitting area and you know, stuff like that. And like Rafa's so not interested. He's just banging crap and you know, shaking <laughs> things and going around. And you know, Colby does have the good confessional. Like I love his one confessional where he's just like, Rafa. And then he starts talking. But then he has this <laughs> other one where he uh you know, Rafa pulls out the level on their little uh on their sleeping area, right? And you know, Kobe's like, He pulled out his level and it was level and they were all they, they, you see it in real life, like they're all cheering about the fact that it's level and he's like and Rafa gave me one of those smirks like mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is compliment coming from Rafa. <laughs> you know, Colby's just as funny as anybody in Survivor, just kind of in a different way. He just has a, a different funny. Yeah. If they're, uh, you know, since they keep coming back to locations on Survivor, I, I wish they go back to Panama just because Panama has some of the funniest locals between the, the lesbian shopkeeper, Rafa, and then, Corazon! The, and the smoking kids in the village from Exile Island. Like, those, like, Panama just has the best interaction with the locals on any Survivor season. Panama sounds hilarious. We got to go there. <laughs> well it's not only that like i'm sure you know they, they've been in samoa for so many years and they were in uh, the philippines for so many years but like we don't interact with the locals anymore mike like that's that's something that a lot of modern survivors lost like you know that was something they still attempted to do back in the day oh yeah absolutely so yes. like we get to mogo mogo second place and you know rafa leaves and then lex of course with his with his final selling point to rafa which was mikasa sukasa Awesome, Lex. That was like borderline racist and dumb, and you know. But then Jeff thinks that's a bribe for yeah. some reason. He's like, oh, no, no, bribes. no bribes. No bribe. No bribe. You, you could stay here, Rafa. You can stay in our island shithole, dude. Totally. <laughs> Rafa's like, I live in a house. Like, <laughs> yes. Get home to my Xbox and my satellite t- t- cable TV. <laughs> so. <laughs> so then. <laughs> oh it's so good so you know yeah yeah he leaves it we go to shapira right so you know we're gonna go to shapira and you know see their shelter and i mean it is like just banging right like it's just this four wall shelter and you can see rafa just take one look at it like he goes in there and tries to do his shaking and his bashing but like they built it with like such sturdy things i mean rafa just takes one look and just nods his head in approval like yep this is good but then you know they they try to insist him going on the swing like they're trying to they're trying to show him all the curb appeal, all that curb appeal. <laughs> the well, they put him on the swing and they start saying we let's the we. <laughs> and you can tell he's like, I, just get me the hell off this thing. Yeah. You know I'm fifty, right? <laughs> Take me off the swing. Yeah, and and what's funny is you can see his face like they're putting him up on the swing and he's like looking around like I don't want to be on the swing. I really yeah. don't want to be on the swing. I do not want to have direct eye contact with any of you. Actually, <laughs> it's the same look when I put my dog at the top of a slide once. He absolutely wanted no part of being right there. <laughs> yeah, you know I think like they mentioned it when on the uh, the All Star commentary like Robin but they're in Jenna they were like look at him he's terrified and I'm like. I don't know if he's like terrified, but he's he's like uneasy of the whole thing. But I'm, I really think he just wanted to go and, and shake shelters. Right. Like then, you know, these people are like trying to steer him into a place and put him on a swing. And he's just like, I am not entirely comfortable with anything that's going on at this moment. Yeah. If, if you were like this, like big Panamanian contractor, and you get asked to come on the show and you have to encounter these like fair semi feral adults who are insisting you like stay with us and pushing you around. It's like 
you, I don't know what you signed up for, Rafa. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But we get the nice triumphant thing. There's the checkerboard with the shells and stuff like that. And even Probes is like, nice. <laughs> and on to the beach cabin. Off to Jamie Gum's death pit. And I love it. We get the walk up, right? You can just see Rafa's face as they're walking up. Like, he's so deadpanning, but you can just see his face. He's just like, what? Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. <laughs> so, like, they get there. And what's funny is that, you know, Jeff's like, this is Rafa. He's a licensed contractor. He's going to go. And then Rupert, of course, just trying to sell the cabin. I'm like, look, it's a log cabin. I built it down on the beach. You can stand down here, you know. And then Rafa just, you know, he's ignoring him. And he's going inside. And it's like he starts to think. But you could see, like, unlike Mogo Mogo Shelter and Shapiro's, like, you can see he's, like, getting a firm grip on something and shaking. Like, he literally just punches things. And things are just falling apart. You know, and then Rupert's just the, everything that was loose, he touched. And I was like, he's just, he was, he literally banged on your roof and it like, you know, <laughs> yeah. went up with your fist. Like, what do you mean everything that was loose? Your entire shelter? <laughs> yeah. Well, he definitely made the, oh my God, shelter. <laughs> yeah. I did like how Rupert tried to cover up the stump by calling it a footrest log. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we built that in here. It's, 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 this, is a, this is a log. Uh, I love what he says. He's like, this is a log. <laughs> I couldn't get it out of the sand, so it's, it, it stays. It's like he doesn't care. He just sees that you duck a hole in the beach and, and, and not even a fully square hole because there is a root sticking into one of the things. <laughs> Uh, I also like the quote where like he's just like Rafa comes up and then Rupert's like I saw his face when he walked into the hut he didn't like down <laughs> well it's like no you, you literally built an underground coffin Rupert <laughs> yes so anyway Shapira doesn't win or uh, Saboga doesn't win correct no he doesn't you know <laughs> and he's like talking about like outside where like they've got the roof like this really crappy roof that like has just a couple of palm fronds on top and then Rupert's like look we have this like shoot and we can catch rainwater and it's like well you can just hold out your hands underneath because i don't think that your roof is you know waterproof here <laughs> well just wait for the rain system <laughs> yeah just wait for the rainwater to come up from your ankles up to your mouth when you can drink it it'll work real well <laughs> you know and, and it's just like the music and everything and then what's funny is at the end you know jeff's just like well here's the deal rafa's gonna deliberate i'm gonna deliberate with rafa and uh if you win uh plane will come by drop off a package if you get second place, uh, key will come in your tree mail. And if not, I hope it keeps you dry. <laughs> yeah. And I have to say, I really miss those paradrop rewards where they drop them in from the parachute. Sure. Those were fun. Because uh, you always get the shots of them celebrating at camp. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But before we get there, we have to get Rafa's thing. We're like, Jeff is talking with Rafa literally like within earshot of Saboga because, you know, at this point, they're like, oh, come on. They know they're not winning. You know, <laughs> like, let's just discuss it right now. And, you know, like Rafa's like, Saboga? Oh, no. <laughs> no. Did you no. like, should have done the sign of the cross. <laughs> yeah. And then could, have used a gl- could have used a glory hole. Yes, that's what Rafa was looking for. Gory holds the key. It's a linchpin in the design. I love like Jeff, of course, you know, which is he's like, you wouldn't want to live here. Oh, oh no, no, no. <laughs> he's, he's dangerous in the water. And he's like, it's the water's gonna go in and like Rupert and like Ethan they're talking is like Ethan's like, yeah, they're talking about how like this thing's gonna get flooded, and Rupert's just like He's just like, he can't even believe that, you know, he built a bad shelter, which is like the best thing ever. 
poor Rupert. Poor Rupert. So then we get the thing, and you know, of course, Jeff's like, "Bring it in." The winner is, and then we get the scene where like they're all looking, and you know, there, there's lots of fun things that go on just with the paradrop. Like even the paradrop's fun because you know the the plane comes, it finally drops its thing, and you get like the whole thing from like Shapira and Mogamog where they're like, "Drop it, drop it, drop it," and then you see Saboga kind of looking up at the plane, and then you know. The plane drops the thing or like it flies by Saboga Beach, you know, and like Rupert comes out of the shelter like, oh, here. Oh, it isn't us. Nobody else even looks up. (laughs) It's the last time I give Rafa anything except a boat. Except a boat. (laughs) Maybe a boat. So like then the pair drop comes. But like the way Shapira and Saboga or Shapira and Mogo Mogo Beach is they're they're like kind of cut off from an island so the pair drop comes and it's, it's, it's funny because mogo mogo thinks it's them initially so like they start cheering and then of course they realize that it isn't theirs and then you know they're sad which is good and then of course shapira is all dancing on their beach because they won and my, my wife was just watching the scene she was walking by and she sees all shapira's dancing she's like yeah i i, I didn't really recognize big tom dancing because he didn't have a feather in his butt <laughs> so there you go he could have picked Jenna's feather out of her hair and put it in his butt. <laughs> Jeez. All right. So, so what do we got here? We got the uh, Shapiro wins. They dominate again. We get the great one of my favorite quotes in this episode where Boston Rob says, "Rafa never had so much fun going for a little ride on the swing," which oh, I just love Rafa. that quote. And I just wrote in my notes here. I just capitalized it here to be sure to mention it. It's amazing how much more fun and lighthearted this show used to be. Like, this is a really, really fun episode. Every single person in the cast is funny. And I'm watching this episode in particular. Like, that was fun. There wasn't a, a, even a hint of strategy in, like, 30 minutes in this episode already. Yep. And you even get a, you get a little bit because, you know, and I don't want to talk about this too much, but then this is, you know, Robin Amber, you know, if you want to kiss me, kiss me, blah, blah, blah. They're having, like, this flirting thing after they've, you know, cut into their tarp and, and wine and, and, you know, have, have had a little bit to drink and stuff like that. And then, oh, now they've got wine breath and blah, blah. But it's like... You know, Rob's just like, here's the thing. Amber and I have been flirting, and we have an alliance together, and she's probably playing me. And it's like, they, he just said in passing in this thing, and just about the Rob and Amber story, that they have an alliance together. But other than that, it's just about shelter building. Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah, it's it's, it's weird because these couple, this and the 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 Sue episode kind of has a little bit of strategy in it. But it's it's weird to see these couple of episodes that really don't have anything to do with strategy. It's because they happen to be there didn't have to be any happen to be any votes during the game, but it's, it's really interesting because it kind of harkens back to the, those really early seasons where it was much more about the people and it was much more about surviving than mm-hmm. anything else. Absolutely. I mean, so much of your value was based on what you could bring to the group. If you could bring in fish, if you could build things, so much of your value in the game was based on that. It's completely gone now. So anyway, that's the story of Rafa and my God, it's amazing, and I just cannot stress how crappy that shelter that Saboga is. It is the worst thing ever, and what I love about it is, is that it gets, it gets Dodo-ish music, it gets bad music, it gets eerie music. Like, the, you know, Russ Landau had like a field day just telling what music to go into all those Saboga scenes to kind of just get the whole emotion in there, but I mean, it is just the worst thing ever, and I just, it's so capped off with Rafa's visit, where Rafa's just like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Well, Can just... We- can you can after you paradrop, can you just, you know, tell them to drop a nuke on this thing? <laughs> well, it's great because just the way things happen to work out on Survivor. Of course, the next night is the absolute worst storm in the history of Survivor, where Saboga almost dies. 
Yeah, that's next episode. It's it's it it isn't in this one, but yeah, it's they have is a bad shelter. One? No, it's not this one. No, it's the it's the beginning of of episode four is when the big storm hits. Okay, well there is there is a storm here because I know Jenna Maraska breaks down again now. Yes, there's yeah, there's okay. a, there's a storm, but we don't get Saboga's thing. We're done with Saboga for now. Okay. Sadly, we're done with Saboga, but but we'll be back. Don't you worry. That shelter is not over yet. But we get we get the we get the bad storm, but we wake up on Mogo Mogo because now the rest of the episode is going to be Jenna. And here we go. Okay, I guess I'll lead it off. So <laughs> yeah. Jenna, so 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 it's a, so it's a bad storm. Jenna's feeling sad. She needs to take a walk, and uh, you know she's like, "Look, I think I need to be with my mom." And and you know, I didn't think I'd forgive myself. I knew I was out here playing a game, and something happened to her. And, you know, we do know the story from Survivor Amazon that Jenna's mother had had cancer and, you know, she really wanted that letter. And we got the whole Jenna Christie letter scene in Amazon. And now she's out there and she's like, my mother is, you know, she got good news about about her mother's cancer from Amazon. But apparently, you know, her mother was doing worse. And, uh, you know, she's basically telling her tribe that she probably wants to leave because she keeps thinking about her mother. And then, yeah, Kathy is the first one to say, and this is really the first opinion from anybody we hear in this episode where Kathy says, uh, I just found out her mom's in a cancer rehab center. And Kathy's like, she shouldn't be here in my opinion. So that this is, it's interesting. That's the first reaction you hear out of anybody. It softens up later as we go along. But the first instinct is someone to say, why is she even here in the first place? Right. Well, Mario, why is she here? <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. How, how would I like to phrase this? I'm trying to oh, think about boy. We already got the explicit ratings, so go ahead. Well, I just someone pointed out something the other day, and it's, it's made me think about this episode a lot, where someone pointed out, you know, Jenna Maraska is an interesting case in Survivor because she is the only player who got more popular for quitting than for winning, which is really interesting when you think about that because there was almost no call from the fan base for her to be cast in this season she was i mean her over sepia was the least popular winner ever and that's scary when you have richard in the winners so it's just amazing why she was in the cast in the first place considering no one really wanted her there she there was no fan base that was clamoring for jenna to be an all-stars and you can't say that well all winners had to be included because they didn't include heidek or Vesepia or sandra sandra of course has an excuse because it would have been back to back but you didn't, they weren't casting all winners automatically. So there was no reason for Jenna to be there. And it's just an interesting thing if you know the history of Amazon and how poorly it was received that she was even in All-Stars in the first place. And now she's going to become mega popular because of uh, her sad story, which admittedly I think is a good ending. It's really tastefully done and well done. But the, the reality of why Jenna was there, and as someone pointed out, she actually got more popular for quitting than for winning is, is kind of interesting when you think about it. And I, yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's, I mean, I'm of the, I'm definitely in the cap camp. I'm, I'm, I don't know if you guys are either too of about if you have a, a family member who's extremely sick. I mean, I don't, I don't think the situation was that her mother had gone through chemotherapy was doing well. And then she, she had gone back into, she, she went and had a relapse into cancer again. I, mm-hmm. she had been sick the entire time she was in a rehab clinic. So I, I, I don't know. I, I guess we're kind of fast forwarding here to where during the challenge, it kind of becomes a basic, what would you do scenario with all the survivors? But I can't even wrap my head around her even going out there with such a sick family member so close to her, unless, unless it really goes with this whole huge reputation of the season. And the fact that if you don't go out there and you don't have a good reason, you're screwed. 
I have I have an interesting background on this one, and I don't talk about this much because I like to I don't give away a lot of personal details about myself. But my mom died of cancer within about a month of Jenna's mom. They were sick at the exact same time. So I know I know that world real well when you get in stage three, stage four, when you're in rehab centers and hospices and things like that. And to me, it just seems shocking that she would have left. And then I don't know. To me, I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for this. And I know this is a very harsh way of looking at it where that she left and then she wants everyone to feel bad that she left and now she has to go home. And so my opinion is like, well, what a waste of time that was for everybody. Like it was a waste of time for her to leave, leave her family that she missed time with them. It was a waste of time for her tribe that just loses a, a member. They would have had six. Now they have five. It was a waste of time kind of for the fan base because nobody was really clamoring for Jenna to be there in the first place. So to me, I just don't see the point of the whole Jenna storyline. And again, I think it was handled really well. It's very tastefully done, the end of this episode, and it made me cry at the time. And to the point that I actually wrote Jenna an email. I, I, I try not to communicate with survivors a lot most of the time. But I wrote Jenna an email explaining, you know, my mom just died too. I understand this world very well. If you, know, if you just want someone to uh, hear, hear an email from somebody who understands what it's like, I, I, I totally sympathize. So I, I totally understand that world. But just my personal circumstance, like my mom was in stage four cancer at the time. She only had a month to live. We knew this. It's really not a surprise for the most part when you're in stage four. And I know every cancer is a little bit different. But all I can say is I certainly would not have been leaving. I mean, leaving to be on a reality show would have been the last thing on my mind that month of my life. So that's the kind of perspective I see when I look at this. Like, I don't have a lot of sympathy for this whole thing. It just seems weird to me that she left in the first place. Here's my question. My, my question is, did Jenna's mother tell her to go? Now, that's the interesting thing. I, I could see that happening because I know that they watched the show together, if I recall. Mm-hmm. They, it was like a family thing. So if the mom says, yeah, you, you should really go, please, this, we know you want to do this, I can see that happening. But then again, it's still big, a big waste of time for everybody else. So, I, I mean – I understand. As, as a fan, I just see it as a way. But yeah, that that is absolutely. There might have been that in there, and no one could really hold it against her if that was the thing. If that's like your mom's dying wish, I don't see how anybody could criticize it. I understand that. You know what I mean? Like ultimately, the fact that she pulled herself out of the game, you know, affects the game. You know, and and you know, things don't totally stop just because, you know, of Jenna's situation and and whatnot. However. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I can't, you know, I, I, I've had, I've had family members uh, pass away from cancer and stuff like that, but I've never been in the situation that Jenna's been in. Just the fact that, you know, she she went out there on Survivor not too long ago and she won the game and she won a million dollars and her life is now forever changed because she won Survivor. And then Survivor calls and says, we want you to come back for an all-star season. And, you know, she probably, you know, it's not like she probably just said, yeah, I'm on a plane, see us, suckers. You know, she probably talked with her family about this and yep. stuff like that. And, I mean, it, and if, you know, her mother, you know, I, I'm not saying so, but, like, if her mother says, you have to go, you know, it, it's, it, it's hard just to say, well, no, I'm not. I mean, I understand that Jenna's an adult and she has to make decisions. Maybe you just say, you know what, you know, I know you want me to go, but I'm not going to go. But like it's, it, it would be hard. I mean, I, you know, trying to put yourself in that situation is something I don't know. And it was, it's something for a long, for a long time. I just never understood why Jenna left in the first place because it just seems like you know, you shouldn't. But on the other hand, I just got to thinking: if her mother says you should go, then she, you know, then she would probably go. Yeah, 
Yeah, to me, to me, it seems more the blame is in the producers. Like, why did they put her in that position in the first? Like, again, because she was not a popular player. Yeah. So that's what I always come back to. Like, why, like if she had not been there, we could have had someone like Heidi T Bird. I mean, I don't know who would have said no or yes, but like, there were so many more interesting and and in demand characters and players that could have had that spot. That's what I always kind of think when I, the, do, whole, this whole episode comes up. Do you see how he slipped that in, Mike, where he's like, you know, we could have had any other player like T-Bird go. <laughs> Who I just had a conversation with. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I bet she's up. I mean, I've been saying her for years. Her and Dina and Helen are the big three. But we already had this discussion that they wanted to go young. So I, know. I see why they wanted to cast her. And I mean, she's the, the hot one. She was cute. She was a big character. But again, no one was really clamoring for Jenna to be on All-Stars. So it's really... Few people have had a, a legacy change as as harsh or as strong or as extreme as Jenna Maraska, where she went from absolutely one of the most hated characters in Survivor history to one of the most sympathetic, all in what three episodes. So it's kind of astounding how much her legacy changed here. Right, and what I like about this scene is that the scene speaks for itself. I like how you said that it was tastefully done. I think that's a really good point because mm-hmm. what you know we get this whole thing, and first of all, like. Okay, let, let's get some fun, ironic, you know, funniness out of the way here just before we get into it. Where, you know, just before we get to the challenge, and I want to get to the challenge and kind of get this done and, and move on. But, you know, Jenna's talking with Kathy, and Kathy's basically saying, you know, hey, you need to leave. And she says something like, you know, your attitude around camp is, is, is a bit of a cancer eating away at us. It's <laughs> yeah. like, Kathy, <sighs> Kathy, Jenna's, what are you, Kathy, what, what, a, you could use a different analogy, Kathy. Yeah, that may be the worst Survivor analogy ever. Oh. Uh, still, <laughs> still awkwardly social after all these years. It, <laughs> Kathy Babrick O'Brien. And it's like, you know we love Kathy. We're like the biggest Kathy fans on planet Earth. And I'm like, you know, may, maybe it's because she's not eating a lot of food or, you know, they just built a treehouse. I don't know. But, it, you know, it, it, it's how it is. But uh, they get to the challenge and, you know, we we remark that Rudy's gone, but you know we got bigger things. And then basically Jenna just you know he asks some things about the shelter, and he's like, "Want to get to the challenge or Mogo Mogo? How are you doing?" And then Jenna basically says, "You know, due to someone who's ill I'm, and getting worse, I need to pull myself out of the game. I'm sorry. I love this game. My family's my priority. You know, I need to get out of there." But what I love about this is that you know Jenna Maraska is basically saying, "I am leaving because I'm going to go be with my mother," and you know basically they're calling the boat to shore and whatnot, but. You know, Jeff's just like, do you know something? And she's like, no, I'm getting a vibe. But then Jeff basically just says, what do you guys think of this? And, you know, everyone sort of sort of gets a chance to chime in. And what's fun is that, you know, people are saying things and like a lot of emotion is coming out. And what's what's beautiful about this scene and, and part of the tastefully done is that people, you know, there there's, you know, 15 plus people here and and they're talking about the game of survivor they're all veterans of the game they're all you know at this point legends of the game and she and and so like you know <laughs> you know they're talking their their specific you know visions of of what they would do and it's like they run the gamut some people would do what jenna would do some people would play on you know tom has a really interesting thing that he says he's just like you know if i'm out here and you tell me that my family all die in a car crash you know don't don't call me you know, I'll, I'll be there after the game, you know, it's a really, you know, he's breaking down kind of as he's saying this, but what's, what's good about this is that, you know, we, as an audience, we can see all these people processing this decision and they all kind of come at different sort of conclusions, but nobody says, you know, I'm right or you're wrong or, or this thing or that. They just say what they would do, 
but you know, the boat comes and Jenna leaves and they all give her a hug and it's, you know, a super emotional scene. And it just, it spoke for itself. Like it was just people going through and having a moment. Yeah, you got to see a lot of who they were as people, which I thought was really fascinating. You don't see that much on Survivor. I will attempt to make a joke and say that I thought the reason Amber hugged Jenna was to get some sweet winter juju off of her. her. (laughs) Can I just give her a hug? You know, Amber's a really, if you watch the season and just pay attention to Amber, she's a really nice person. And she gets a really nice edit, but I don't even know if they're just selling her as a winner to to soften up. She's just a really good person. So I got to say that about Amber before we trash her later. And I do have to say one other thing that's hilarious in the scene. You know, as sad as it is, you know, the whole thing with Amber or the Jenna leaving and, you know, Richard's got his arm around her the whole time during when she's talking. And it's hilarious because you see the shark bite on his elbow the entire time. It's right behind her head. (laughs) Well, that's why they named the episode Shark Bite. There you go. So if you're looking for some unintentional humor in this episode, just watch her touching scene. And the entire time you see the shark bite right, right behind her head where Richard got bit. That should be the screenshot for the episode. Just like, this is what this episode's about. <laughs> yes. But, I mean, they, they leave things not... I mean, you see the, the music comes, the, the, the incredibly sad music, and, you know, Jenna gets on the boat and she leaves. And, you know, as the boat leaves, it, it kind of sort of fades to black and it says, you know, Jenna made it home and by her mother's side and her mother passed away eight days later. It's like, you know probably the right call then if she wanted to go home and see her mother so you know it it didn't leave it much of a doubt that way so you know the the episode ends not i wouldn't say on a happy note but i mean we all were kind of wondering like she left the game to go be with her mother so it was like did she get to be with her mother yeah it's a really beautiful 10 minutes of tv and that's the thing that's i really can't badmouth it because it was really and i hate to say it had to take someone dying to do that but it's like they really handled that well Absolutely. And it's a very touching scene, and everyone remembers it. Everyone remembers that as a highlight of All-Stars. But yeah, to me, I just think of the bigger picture. Like, what a waste of time for everybody. Yeah, but, you know, like I said, I don't know. We don't know a lot of the circumstances around it. Like, you're right. Ultimately, the producers probably shouldn't have, you know, insisted that she be one of the finalists, uh, you know, people to be brought back just because of, of, of the health condition of Jenna's mother, but they did. And so, you know, a lot of people want to put the onus on Jenna, like, you know, why did you make the decision and stuff like that? And it's like, you know, maybe Jenna made a unilateral decision. I want to come back and I'll take the risk. Or maybe her mother told her to go or her family told her to go or, or something along. We don't know. You know what I mean? So it's hard for me to question Jenna's, you know, decision to go out there. I think like she was probably told it was okay and go, you know, and it's like, you know, when Survivor comes calling, you probably should go. You know what I mean? That, that's always a, it, it's, it's an interesting to say not to go. But I, I think Mario is on the head like, why did they ask her in the first place? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not a big fan of Kelly Goldsmith, but she would have really torn this game apart if she'd had that spot. You know, and Mogul Mogul might have won if that had happened. I mean, they just lost a person here and they were up at the time, so. Yes, Kelly Goldsmith was like the last alternate, right? That's, that, you hear lots of stories, but I've heard that, yeah, over the years that she was cut the very last day right before All-Stars. Oh, not too heard. As in like <laughs> airport parking lot cut, right? Isn't that what the rumor is? I've heard a lot of stories. On a recent interview, she just said the day before. So, I mean, I don't know how close, but I know she had been called. She'd quit her job and everything. So if, if she wasn't actually cast, she was being used as a decoy to trick the people who were cast. I don't right. know, but she, she came really close to being on the show. And again, if she's there on Mogo Mogo instead of uh, Jenna Maraska, this whole legacy of uh, Survivor All-Stars may have been different. It may have been. I mean, that's, that's a totally good point. But that's it for episode three. Hooray! Hey. Yeah, we made it through. Exactly. So we made it through the first awkward episode we're going to talk about here. Yep. On to episode, you know, episode four. Oh, wait. 
you're not all done. I, I, all I can say is the only thing that would have made it more awkward is if Rudy had been there to comment on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would have been classic. Rudy, what do you think? I don't know. <laughs> who's she? Yeah. Who, who's, who's Jennifer? <laughs> <laughs> I was in worse shape than that once in Nam. Look, let me tell you something. I I drank the water here, and I've I've been talking to these guys over here, uh, uh, Ethan and uh, and uh, one of the other people, and uh, and they uh, they they say there's going to be a challenge today, and we got to run. So uh, that's what we got to do, right? Yes. Rudy just starts putting together the, the puzzle cube. <laughs> I solved it. <laughs> okay, as we segue into episode four, which would have been another another episode that would have been fantastic with Rudy, because this is the one with the mixer challenge. Oh God, this this is a good one. This this is again a good one. Not not as not as good as the shelter, but you know we get shelter fallout here. Well, first of all, we get another mm-hmm. bad storm. You know, and uh, you know we start with Shapiro, the dry, the the good camp, right? And we get a good thing about like the water rising and Tom going, we need a boat. Mayday, mayday. You know, <laughs> and stuff like that. I mean, they're they're out of the rain. Things are going. But, you know, Rob and Amber are fooling around the thing. And I think, uh, you know, Rob C. has the great, you know, confessional here where he's like, Boston, Rob and Amber are going to do it. <laughs> yes. I don't know when, but they're going to do it. They got the mat, the pillows. I wish them both the best of luck. They did well, Rob. Thank you for asking. Um, but, like, <laughs> then we get to, you know... Fun, fun shot of Shapiro. Then we go to Saboga. <laughs> oh. It's not worth it. <laughs> we always remember Jerry just going absolutely just batshit crazy out of her mind in this thing. But it's like, you know, you saw the next day, you saw their hands like that shelter didn't. I mean, it didn't shelter them. It literally did not do what the name of it is. <laughs> like they were underneath it and like the thing was filling up water they had to abandon it because they were getting it was getting filled up with water but like not only is it getting filled up with water but like the roof i mean it's not holding anything back they're literally just out in this torrential rainstorm in a hole in the beach and one of the things i love about rupert is that he there's no there's no in between for rupert he's either a one or a ten and obviously yeah. when he was building the shelter he's a ten but now he's Digging into the sand was the dumbest decision I've ever made in my life. It's just like completely despondent. Like there's no middle ground with his emotions, which makes him a perfect, perfect confessional giver. Absolutely. Yeah. All or nothing. Yeah. All right. So uh, there's not a lot of here. Be- just people just sitting around bitching about the rain. Uh, I'm trying to fast forward so we can get through a bunch of episodes tonight. Yeah, let's see. No blah, blah, blah. Uh, I, I do like that Ethan, when he was talking about just how being terrible and whatnot and the shots of their waterlogged fingers and, and stuff like that. I mean, he says, you know, he's like, some of them said they were going to rescue us. They're going to re-, he's like, oh, they're not coming. And I was like, what are you nuts? This is Survivor. It's, <laughs> yeah. our, it's our fault. We built a crappy shelter. <laughs> yeah. So let's go right to the reward challenge because I know we want to have fun with this one. Oh, boy. Uh, I will. I will- I will say one little random tidbit. If everyone's ever rewatching All Stars, when it cuts to Mogo Mogo randomly before the reward challenge, just watch Kathy, who puts twine in her hair and does. Kathy does a series of odd impressions in these episodes. In this one, she's kind of like a rich debutante as a wig with twine in her hair going, Take me to the Casbah. It's just such a random Kathy moment that I love. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Yeah, this is the the mixer challenge, which is one that I've written about many times over the years when I said they should have this challenge in every single season. Because all it is is fun and character moments where you get to see people interacting and just how they think. And I, I this is my favorite of the mixers. I like this one more than the Amazon one even just because it's just people bagging on each other. 
Yeah, this one, it, it's not even so mean-spirited, but I, I, this is, like, where everyone's trying to one-up each other. Yeah. Like, in the Amazon, like, you know, I, there was kind of, like, that, that mixer vibe, right? Like, hey, mm-hmm. who are you? And, oh, uh, like this. But, like, this one, it's just entertainers trying to one-up each other. Yeah. You know, it, it's something I've been a part of, not, not Survivor or Mixers, but, you know, just people trying to one-up each other. And, I mean, there is nothing like it. You're just in the environment. You're just trying to, you know better yourself over somebody else and like this whole thing is just so good it's kind of like how the way the historians podcast works yeah well <laughs> all right yeah then rob c gets the tree mail he's like i've played this before which i just remember i was like that little comment yeah i played but then, this he, but then he, he makes up the tree mail right like yeah, yeah, they're gonna eat bugs or eat something. bugs or something and then sue gets super excited that they're gonna eat bugs i like this whole do. pot <laughs> so then uh yeah Oh, we have the interaction. There's an interaction here right before the challenge, which I have to point out because of later events where Rich and Sue are kind of bantering with each other. Oh, yeah. Every single time those two talk, there's some weird sexual banter where they're kind of flirting with each other and talking about dicks and bones and stuff. So it's just it really becomes poignant kind of later on when you remember what happens to Sue and Rich later. Oh, yeah, because they're talking about how Rich Rich caught the eels in the in the previous segment. Right. And then we get, yeah. of course, the great, you know, Colby Cobra's like, I like the one in the middle hatch. He's holding yeah. up the eels, right? But then uh, they're talking about that, you know, and you know, and, and Sue was like, "Well, what's whatever?" Because the eels are all bone, and Richard's like, "Those are the ones I was feeding you, honey." Yeah, she's like, "You got you got no bone to give me, Richard." Uh, he's like, "Yeah, that's absolutely true." That is absolutely true. But again, this is just how Richard and Sue talk. So again, when we get to that really unfortunate incident in one or two ep- two episodes, I think it's just. Like, Richard had no idea that he was crossing the line, because this is just how they interact with each other. That's that's all I think about when I see this stuff. So anyway, this is the same challenge, like you said, the Mixer Challenge from the Amazon. We get the fun music, they're all just standing around there, and then they've got stuff in, 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 in their little uh, treasure box there. And it's it's this one's like feathers and rocks and sea sponges and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that. And basically what you need to do is it's a match game. You need to ask somebody else, do you have a this? And if you don't, then, you know... You skip your turn, and if you do, you make a match, and then you get a point for your tribe. And, of course, you know, gameplay-wise, we'll just get it out of the way. Uh, Shapira wins uh, because Mogo Mogo can't get their crap together, and Saboga managed to make matches with each other. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, is always the, I don't think we understand the point of the game. But uh, let's just get to the fun part of the challenge, which is everybody interacting with each other. And let's start with <laughs> Rob Mariano. Yes. <laughs> You know, any chance Rob gets, he's going to belittle Ethan. And this is where he starts just calling him pretty boy. Yeah. And it's like, if you know the background on this, it's not like I'm saying I knew the background then, but like on the rewatch, know this Boston Rob was trying to make Ethan look like a horse's ass every chance he could get. So once Jeff's is like, all right, Rob, start, you knew he's going to go to Ethan. Like you just yeah. know he's going to go there. Yeah. And he just gets over and he's like, hey, pretty boy. And then Ethan's like, what do you mean? You and me? Didn't you call Jeff that a couple episodes ago? Uh. And I love it too because Rob Rob's uh, Rob Sester, you know, helps Shapira break the challenge because just really quickly talking about how to break this challenge. Apparently, the boxes were all constructed in sets of three right next to each other. So Rob Sester, you know, told Shapira, all you need to do is ask the person to your left if you have the same object as you do, and you'll have a match no matter what. And of course, Mariana right off the bat just breaks this rule because he's gotta go after Ethan for some <laughs> unknown reason. Yes. That's the thing. I mean, a lot of the times you can think in All-Stars, it seems like Rob wasn't even trying to win so much as he was, he was just trying to make sure his legacy was better than everyone else. And it, you can kind of see it in stuff like this. As long as I take Ethan down, it was a successful day. Yeah. Well, Rob M gets, I think, you know, 
he gets into his element challenge wise. I mean, people talk about survivor challenge beasts, you know, they talk about Colby in Australia, Terry Dietz, of course, in, in Panama, you know, other subsequent immunity runs. And I'm not saying that there was, you know, this incredible run, but I think that the body of work that Rob Mariano puts down in all stars is an impressive one. However, yeah. there are side side, there are consequences to it. I, you know, he, does he make the match with Ethan on the first one? I forget. I don't think you can on the first box. More than likely, it's going to be a shot in the dark. Yeah, I think it's a shot in the dark. I don't but think I, he does. Yeah. I don't think I don't think he does. And it's like if he had just listened to Sesternino, they would have been one closer. But you know, the other tribes kind of mess it up. Um, what were some other go- other good ones? I remember uh, my favorite is where uh, Jenna turns her thing around and she leaves it open, and Ethan kind of bags on her. It's like yeah. Jenna, why don't you, why don't you just leave the thing up, leave it open, just leave it open and turn it around. I do love Boston Rob calling. He calls Richard Dicky at one point. Yes, Dicky. Which, again, is very unfortunate considering how Richard's story ends with Sue later. <laughs> Dickie, give me a driftwood. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, Rob C., of course. I mean, let's just point it out right now. Rob C., I think this, this, is, this is his moment in All-Stars, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. the rest of it, you know, is just Rob C.'s, you know, being run around in the, in the Home Depot challenge. Or, you know, Rob C. is just, you know incessantly trying to impress people and whatnot but like just the 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 reward challenge here the mixer i mean he he gets all the you know he gets the thing from ethan ethan's like how did you know how did you know you know and then uh, uh richard's like hey rob you got a sea sponge you will never get my sea sponge richard like you know rob c is just in his element here yeah. <laughs> i mean i do love even like you know yeah, he just with- gets to play off other people with Lex, yeah. where like Lex is like you know looking at his box and he like backs up, and Rob's like, I already know what you have. Like you know, it's, yeah. it's just a great moment. <laughs> I mean, Kathy's like, I can read your mind, and Sister Nina's like, Can you read it now? Yeah. <laughs> Which I just love that little reference. Uh, yeah, so he gets some time to shine before he gets yeah completely decimated. <laughs> he got one good moment in All Stars. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, and, and uh, Lex has a good. I like Lex's face and voice when you know he's. He gets the sea sponge or whatever from Jenna, and you know, Probes is like, "Did you know that?" Because she left her box open. Lex is like, "That's right." <laughs> I always love that. Yeah, again, Lex does have a lot of fun moments in the season until right around episode five, it'll flip. You'll notice it in the edit; it, it'll switch. We'll just pay attention to that later. Yep. But anyway, uh, Shapiro wins the mixer. It's a really, really fun scene of all the survivors interacting, um, and uh, they win the challenge, and uh, they get you know toothbrush and mouthwash and so basically a robin amber makeout kit and then uh they they get it they get shampoo and they also get a toilet and tom puts it on his head of course and i love that it's rob c calls him tommy john yeah <laughs> that's great for people who don't know that's a baseball reference there was a baseball player named tommy john there was a base there was a pitcher named tommy john and he's less famous for being a baseball pitcher and more famous for the uh elbow surgery he had yeah they call it the Tommy John surgery. So Rob is a big baseball fan. That was kind of what that reference is. <laughs> Tommy John. That's so good. <laughs> By the way, I got to point out something interesting people might not notice. A lot of people don't know the dynamic of what Shapiro was kind of like because it's kind of a weird tribe, weird dysfunctional people. But when probes ask at the start of the challenge, who's sitting out this challenge? Rob C says, uh, it's Big Tom and Sue, but he calls them by their nicknames, Mom and Dad. So if you're just curious what the dynamic of Shapiro was like, they were the mother and the father of the tribe. I just thought that was kind of interesting. So then we get we get home and we get the we get the obligatory bathing scene. Ha ha ha. Um, but then we we get they get their clue, their last clue to the rice box or whatever. So they you know, they they get the they get the clue and then the clue doesn't just uh, it doesn't tell them the key is buried. So they, they get this clue. 
to where their their key is. And so, you know, they they figure out that it's, you know, 12 paces or something from tree mail. And this is another make Rob Sesternino look bad scene um, and whatnot. And and what's funny is that Rob C. has talked about this scene in interviews and stuff like that. And it's funny. And this is the fun dichotomy between, you know, what is actually happening and what we are shown narratively. And a lot of times we don't ever know what actually happens, but you do get to see when Rob C. talks about this scene, you do get to see glimpses of his version and, you know, what he's saying is probably worth, you know, holds its salt. Absolutely. And we get, and we get faced with the uh, eternal question that all clue readers, whether hidden immunity idols or keys face, which is what is a pace? Yeah. <laughs> yes. How far is a pace? But basically, you see this scene, just to spell it out for people. So what the scene looks like is that, you know, they get their final clue, and several paces or 12 paces or whatever it is away from tree mail is where they need to dig for their clue, right? And so Rob C. is very gung-ho about this, and you see that sort of in the edit. And, you know, Rob M. is like, you know, he says like, oh, look at, you know, and Sester Neal is like, well, maybe it's down here on the beach. And then he's digging down there on the beach side. And, you know, Rob Mariano's like, oh, Sester Nino, he's just digging a friggin' sandcastle over here. And then you see the shot of like Rob M saying, I think it's right here. And then he starts digging and then eventually he finds the key. So Rob M is the hero of this scene. You know, they find the key, they open it up, they get the rice and stuff like that. Right. And it's interesting because Rob see when he talks about it he's like that was a several hour activity was finding this key and they were all trying to find it together like he's like you can see all the holes going around like he's like we couldn't figure out where it was right away and so we literally just canvassed the area and just you know dug in several places just hoping one would happen and yeah it was in the place where rob m was digging and stuff like that but he's like look at the seam and rob digs the key like he gets it and i think amber gives him a hug or something like that and and Alicia holds up her arms, and he's like, who's the first person to give him a high five in that scene? It's Rob Sesternino. It's Sesternino. And Sesternino's like, I high fived him because I was so happy that we found the key. Like, we all were looking for that key together. Like, it wasn't one of those things where, like, I was being adversarial. Like, Rob M was like, no, I dig here. And Rob C was like, no, I'm going to dig here. It's like, they were they were finding different spots to dig. And he's like, you can see all the different holes that were being dug by different people in the, in the shots. And then, you know, Rob M finds the key and I'm like, Oh my God, yes, the key, we found it. And it's like, at some point, Rob M had cut some promo, you know, bagging Rob C about digging a friggin' sandcastle because he knows how to play the game, folks, the editing mm. game. Yep. Mm. <laughs> but anyway, right. just, just the, just the start of Rob Sesternino's downfall in episode four. Right. Yes. It, it, Which it, really wasn't a downfall, if you know the truth. It was a inevitability. An inevitability. And, you know, just Rob M. just trying to cement his legacy further. Well, yeah, he's going to give the editors what they want to work with. So there exactly. you go. That sucks. All right. Well, we're up to the immunity challenge here, the giant puzzle blocks. Oh, my God. Mm. Which were sadly not being able to use the last challenge because it was the Jenna challenge, but they just reused it for this one. Yep. So right, sim- and this is yeah. This sim- is when people go ahead. No, I was just saying similar challenge setup. Someone's going to be a caller. Everyone's going to be blindfolded. They're all going to go out and you know get pieces. They did this in Marquesas. Uh, they did famously. They did the uh, the obstacle course one in Australia. So you know we 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 get uh, we get people going around with blindfolds. But this time we get really freaking heavy objects that they could kind of swing around at each other. Yeah, some people take some really bad hits. I know Big yeah. Tom just takes an absolute shot to the face at one point. And if Tom can, if you can do something to knock Big Tom over, you know it must have been heavy. 
Yeah, that's bad. I, Colby gets a piece, like, literally thrown right in his path, and he just trips and does an immediate dive roll, and then just keeps walking. Yeah, yep. this one looked dangerous. To the point where Rob Sester, you know, I've never, I've never heard the truth of what Rob was reacting to in that famous yeah. shot where he's like, damn it! Which I know that wasn't just Big Tom getting hit. I, I, always, I always wanted to ask Rob, what are you actually reacting to in that shot? Because it doesn't, it doesn't fit the context. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, like Jerry and Alicia and, and Richard are, are the callers for their tribes. And, it, you know, it's funny because they're going out and like, you know, Big Tom's just does everything full out, right? Like, you know, he, Alicia told him to walk out there. He's going to walk out there, you know, and he's just going. He's trusting, right? So it's like he's then tripping over things and getting things. I mean, he's not taking any hesitant steps out there. Yeah. Meanwhile, Lex is. <laughs> oh God, Lex. Lex Lex's uh, technique was was lacking. I think. Well, Lex walks the way I would walk in a challenge like that because I don't want to get hit in the knees or the nuts by something I can't see. I'm just paranoid. So, so he, he, bent yeah, over. he bends over. Yeah, you have your hands. He's the only one that does that. <laughs> and I do like you know it's the fun little thing where like he's doing that and then finally like Richard's like Lex stand up, <laughs> turn immediately to your left, walk three paces, swing your arms, and he's like oh there's the thing and it's like yeah. I don't know how long I don't know how long he let Lex crawl around in a bush until he finally just made him stand up. <laughs> now, do you think Shapira threw this challenge? I'm just curious to get rid of Rob C. What I heard and uh, what I heard from the commentary is that so if you think if you look about who had to compete in the challenge, Sue mm-hmm. and Tom, since they sat out the last challenge, had to compete. So it was basic, and Amber they're going to have sit out because those pieces were apparently really heavy. So it was apparently down to either Rob or Alicia for the caller because Boston Rob's never going to want to sit out of a challenge. And apparently Alicia overruled Cesar Nino because she had done the challenge before in Australia. So she claimed mm-hmm. that she had she had understood that facet of the game. But I, d- I don't think they understood. I don't think they were thinking about the portion of the puzzle portion. I think they were thinking more about the, the calling portion, which they did fantastically. But once they yeah. got to the puzzle, it was it was shit, shot to sunshine. Yeah, the reason I bring that up is because, you know, Boston Rob has a legacy as this puzzle god that he's really good at puzzles, that he dominates every puzzle challenge. He visibly struggles with the puzzle in this one. And that's why I asked, did they throw that challenge or was he just not that good at puzzles yet? Uh, just something I'd like to think about. It's an interesting notion. Yeah. Because he knew they wanted to get rid of Sesternino, and they're up in numbers. I don't think they would throw a challenge. That doesn't seem like a Boston Rob thing to do, but it's the thing. Either he sucked at the puzzle, and it's not the Boston Rob people are used to, or he threw it. So it's really, I'm curious what people, we don't know the answer. I'm just keep maybe our listeners would like to think about that. Oh, I'm sure that there's opinions. <laughs> no, nah, nobody has an opinion on Boston yeah. Rob. This will, this will go right over people. They won't mention it. Oh, boy. But yeah, Saboga, you know, wins, which is, you know, it, it's tough. We, we've now had several seasons that start out in a three-tribe format, and it just seems like one tribe is just kind of, they start on the path of losing and they can't get themselves out of it. And Saboga does win this immunity challenge, but it did come after, you know, Jenna's quit on Mogo Mogo. So, you know, it wasn't the first combo breaker in the sense that, you know, uh, the, the the tribe that loses the first couple challenges was able to come back and win. But that being said, they did win this challenge. Good for them. <laughs> and it's just the most amazing thing when you look at you know all stars in the big picture that Richard Hatch made it to the fifth episode. How the hell did that happen? <laughs> yeah, that's that's absolutely insane. Well, it's because team second place, <laughs> yeah, got second place. Lived up yeah, to his then, name. <laughs> and then Jenna quit. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, and Jenna quit. I mean, you knew. I mean, that was the thing. Like, they should have just at that point. Like, Saboga took first place, right? 
So like Saboga wins the challenge and Rupert's roaring and they're going around. I mean, you just turn to Shapiro and go, well, you lost because Mogomogo is going to come in second. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so here comes the inevitability, the downfall of Rob Sesternino, who absolutely was never going to make it past a tribal council in Survivor. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. He was never going to get past a single tribal council. Yeah, no. Yeah. yeah. So I, I will say, at least personally from what I see, so we had this weird scene where the editors, I guess, are trying to kind of set up, could it be Alicia by having Rob Cesarino talk to Rob Mariano, and it kind of starts bringing up the theme of this season and the theme of Boston Rob's All-Star Game, which is, Boston Rob's make, why does Boston Rob make deals that aren't necessary? In a very, before there was Russell Hance, there was yep. Rob Mariano on All-Stars, yep. contrary to what your new, newer viewers may think. Yes, there was a Russell before a Russell, and his name was Rob Mariano. Just in terms of, he didn't need to make the alliance with Rob Sesternino. That scene always confuses me, just because Sesternino knew Mariano was gunning for him. He knew that he didn't like Sesternino as a comedian. He knew that he was inevitable, it was inevitable to get voted off. So it's really interesting to compare that to the scene of Jenna Lewis telling Ethan, the winners are going home. Mm-hmm. Just, just to contrast how certain people are approaching these these automatic first boots and seeing how they handle everything. And my interpretation of that, Mike, is that Rob Mariano is again he's playing the he's playing the editing game. He's cementing his legacy, right? So like yep. he he knows he's got Sesternino beat here. I'm not saying he's you know he he's he's being cocky here for a reason. He's he's got the numbers. He's he, you know everyone wants Sesternino out, but he's going to go up and basically try to get an alliance and get a handshake and stuff like that because he knows that's going to be a good visual bite. And he'll say something like, yeah, I told Sesternino I had an alliance. Yeah, what a sap. I'm going to vote him out. You know, I mean, he's just he's just playing that sort of sort of legacy game at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. Sesternino has to be embarrassed on TV. That's just the way it goes. And I just always hate this one. It just, it just sucks so much. Although I will say that Rob Mariano is absolutely the best person I've ever seen in Survivor history at these badass sound bites. And I hate to say that because I don't really like him, but he's got one in this episode where he's like, I haven't made up my mind yet, but when I do, that's the person that'll be going home. And he just it's just the perfect thing. that the, That's what the producers want from him, and that he'll deliver it to him every time. So i got to give him credit. He's really good at giving them what they want for these episodes. Yep. Now, at Tribal Council, though, it seems that the focus of it happens to be about Rob and Amber, which is interesting. And it gets a little, little creepy when Tom starts talking. <laughs> yeah. Tom has that great quote, Rob don't sleep on his back every night. Which, that harkens back to Sester Nino's joke in Amazon about giving the, the guys Viagra so they won't roll over in their sleep. Yeah. <laughs> it's just along the same lines. It's, it seems less creepy coming out of Sester Nino's mouth, though. It's, it's really funny because they do talk about it at Tribal Council. They talk about how, like, Rob and Amber are close and are flirting and stuff like that. And, I mean, you can see Amber, you know, especially trying to, you know, play this off, right? You know, just like, hey, I'm, I'm just young. I'm here to have fun. And, yeah, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know... They're they're obviously being very conspicuous, right? But it's like this is a tribe of six. They're about to be a tribe of five because they're voting out Rob C. So your remaining other your other three people on the tribe, other than Rob and Amber, is Big Tom, Sue Hawk, and Alicia. And it's like Big Tom is you know he he he's gonna you know find a group and stick with it because that's how Big Tom plays the game. But it's like Sue is a wild card, and Alicia. I mean, I've sort of hinted at it before. I mean, Alicia literally says in the commentary, and you can see it, her her strategy was not to have an alliance with anybody. Yep. 
So that was her level of playing the game. <laughs> so, you know, you got these this tribe and everyone's like, yeah, Rob and Amber are totally a couple and they're totally a power couple. And it's like no one's going to do anything about it. So it's it's very funny because you're right, Mike. Like it sticks out like a sore thumb this tribal council that like Rob and Amber are getting called out so early on their, you know, alliance. But it's like nothing's going to come of this. It's going to be okay. And it's not just because we know that everything's going to be okay. But it's like you look at all the other people in the tribe. It's like nobody is willing to do anything about it. Yeah, and this is probably the point we should bring this up. The rumors that there was this pregame alliance, which it's going to come into the forefront really hard in a couple episodes. But the rumors that Big Tom and, and Boston Rob were kind of a pregame alliance with each other. So that's why I was kind of thinking, even though Rob and Amber are a couple, no one ever does anything about it because Rob and Tom are kind of a thing too. So they're not going to turn on him. He, Tom's not going to turn on Rob. That's what I think is kind of going on there. Yeah, you know the. Yeah, the rumor is that it was a pregame alliance. But even if it was an alliance formed out there on the island for some reason, Tom was locked in with Rob. So like it was it wasn't just a block of two, it was a block of three. Yeah. So so once they you know, and everyone wanted to get out Sesternino because they wanted to get out Sesternino. So it's like once that happens, then all of a sudden Shapira is five with a dominant three group. Like no one's gonna do like they are so flippin' safe, it's not even funny. Yep, and then you'll see in the future when Jenna and Rupert come over and they immediately take them in. That's a solid four and a group of seven. You have five, including Tom. So, like, they base this is, I feel like this is when this and when they make the alliance with Jenna and Rupert is when, like, Romber has this game on lock. Yep. Pretty much. And with only one variable in the way, which is the Lex and Kathy thing. And we'll run into that later. All right. So, Sister Nina leaves and he's super sad about it. And, <laughs> And, and all that stuff, which is, you know, it's 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 endearing in a way, but it's like it's like you said, he just he never had a shot. I hate this stuff. You know, there's some things in Survivor I hate. There's very few things I hate more than watching Rob Sesternino, who was absolutely the biggest thing at the time, to the point that he was probably more threatening and had, and had less of a chance than Richard Hatch. I cannot handle watching him get his gr- dreams crushed on national TV when he didn't realize it was coming. And that's just absolutely one of the things I hate the most about Survivor. And it was one of those things where Rob was so crushed by what happened to him on survivor he basically dropped out of the community for about four or five years a lot of people don't know that they think rob has been a fan all along but he really stopped watching the show and stopped having anything to do with it for like six seven eight seasons in the middle there after all stars so i mean it would it it sucked to watch it sucked for him there's really nothing no positive spin i can put on this episode it just was not a fun one to watch if there's anything you can take away from this podcast it's that Rob Sesternino was so good in the Amazon that he had he he was one of the two people him and Richard you know and, and as Mario can make he says you can make an argument that he's even number one as people who had absolutely no shot in All Stars because people wanted to take him down mm-hmm. that is how good Rob Sesternino is and the fact that it took him so long to get him in the Survivor Hall of Fame or whatever like it's ridiculous Rob C is one of the greats. Yeah, and again, to to think of how little a chance he had, just picture, he's Richard Hatch, basically. He's got that reputation, he's got this fame that everyone wants to take him down. He just doesn't have the skills that Richard has where he can feed his tribe and be necessary to the group. So that's the thing. Rob was, I mean, there's not a word in the English language to describe how much dead meat he was in (laughs) All-Stars. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and it even goes further that I've heard rumors over the years that Mariano was upset that he was the first Rob and he thought he was the innovator of Survivor. And then Sesternino comes along and steals not only, you know, a lot of Mariano's strategy, but the name where all of a sudden this other guy is the famous Rob and Mariano didn't like it. And I've heard that as well, that he absolutely 
had to take down Sesternino, and he had to be the one to do it because he wanted his name back. So, I mean, there's all sorts of weird variables going on in All-Stars. Speaking of weird variables going on in All-Stars, shall we move on to Episode 5? <laughs> trying to think. Do I have any other downer things I can mention about this episode? I'm going through my notes here. Uh, other than Rob, yeah, Rob Mouth's an F-bomb, which is one of the first F-bombs on Survivor. That was a good yeah. one. <laughs> predates Chris Doherty. He Pre- does, yeah. Predates Chris's F-bomb, which is like the best. Ah, okay, I do like Sesternino's final words. I, I forget if these are his actual final words or if they're the ones on the extended final words on the DVD where he praises like Big Tom, he praises Sue, and then uh, Boston Rob. And then he's like, Alicia and Amber, uh, have a fun time. Enjoy the rice, girls. <laughs> Which I, I love the level of respect he has for Alicia and Amber as Survivor players. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it. All right. Fuck this. Let's move on. <laughs> okay. So episode five, uh, it's just really funny because the the first reward challenge and and the reward challenge when they get there, Jeff Probst basically says, "Look, you know they were all ge- they all get they all got pieces of bamboo to build a raft that four of them were going to race. And basically, it was this race where they had to, you know, go out, you know, or they had two of them had to go out and find get two people, and then they had to race back to to a spot, you know, just race out, race back sort of thing. And the losing tribe gets, dis, you know, will get dissolved. And, like, it's funny because all of them have this shocking look, but really Probst is like, come on, you all know Saboga's going to lose this. Give me a break. <laughs> We're just doing a mercy killing on Saboga. But I do like the fact that, you know, that we get to the, the small little inter- interaction with three tribes, you know, trying to build this this raft. And it's funny because you get fun little bits from each one, but I think it's very telling about each tribe. But, you know, Saboga, you know, Rupert's trying to get this, you know, idea for an outrigger or a catamaran type thing with a bamboo, which isn't a bad idea, really. But, you know, he's just like, it's funny that, like, Saboga is letting Rupert take the lead again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good job. Oh, well, boy. you know, he's earned, he's earned their trust. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rupert, Rupert is the George W. Bush of Saboga. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, that's so good. And then, you know, you get, you don't really get Shapira building the raft because you know it's going to be just a good raft, right? But you get the whole thing where, like, you know, they're building it out there and Tom has is, is been drinking the alcohol that they've been getting in and we get fun drunk Tom scenes. Yes, this is the one where he, what does he say? He, uh, first he starts making comments about Alicia's chest, which is always nice. Nice rack. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice, nice, nice rack. Nice, I mean, raft. He says uh, that's the, the raft is the best built thing since Alicia. That's a great line. Yeah. That's so good. <laughs> It's and then a, yeah, then Sue pees on the boat, right? And she's yeah. like, "That little Chris and the little eat right through the driftwood." <laughs> Kiss my ass! What a hag! <laughs> Chris here at the Sue's Q in honor of my lady Sue. <laughs> uh, that's gonna make a hole in the driftwood. All right, any wood I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, so many people just remember Sue for her her exit, but she has some. The fights with Tom are really funny, yeah. and both of them, both her and Tom, are funny in these fights. And so I got to point that out. Saboga, Saboga Richard actually leads the uh, lazy brigade in the construction of their raft. Oh, a Mogo Mogo. Yeah. And that's the best thing is that we get to Mogo Mogo and like Kathy's going to say something in a few episodes is great. Like Mogo Mogo just d- had no fun. Like they were just the no fun tribe. It was yeah. literally just anti fun is what it was. And it's like, you know, it's funny because like Shapiro gets the raft. They're building a raft like they're drinking. They're, you know, cracking jokes and, you know, blah, blah. And it's like Saboga is just being, you know you know, dimwittingly optimistic about everything that they're doing. But like you get to Mogo Mogo and it's like they get the bamboo pieces and they just like, it's a scene where they're all just staring at the bamboo pieces. You know who Kathy missed on that tribe who really brought the fun back in Marquesas? Gabriel. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. I had to just, bring that up. Just wow. <laughs> Although I, 
There's you know, a- you know, if Kathy were on a tribe with Gabriel and T Bird, wouldn't have happened, man. <laughs> wouldn't have happened. <laughs> I got to say, there's a quote here that Colby drops, which I had a lot of fun with on the Funny One Fifteen, where he's talking about what they had to do for the challenge. And I, I, I can't do Colby justice, but I will try. That we're supposed to construct a raft that is worthy of the sea, and it can carry four of us. So that meant this rad raft had to carry Lex and Kathy and I and a normal human being, but it's got to carry 260 pounds of hatch. Uh, I love it. I just I want a video of that interspersed with all of his like announcements from Top Shot because it's delivered <laughs> with the exact same uh, exact same uh, words in terms of delivery yeah. of the sea. <laughs> By the way, there's a little trivia note about this episode. I got to drop on you real quick. People might find this interesting. There were three parental. They, this isn't on the DVD, but at the time they would show parental warnings before an episode mm. aired. Sometime if it was really racy. This is one of three. The first three episodes in Survivor history that got a parental advisory warning, where it said to watch this with the. If you have to, you might have to discuss this episode with your kids. This is where Rich rubs up against Sue, obviously. And it's funny because this is the first episode. Where a parental warning or advisory warning was given that did not involve Mike Scoop in another way, in, in some way, because he was responsible for the first two the episode where he killed the pig and the episode where he fell in the fire. So, this is uh, very proud that we, uh, combo breaker here where Sue and Rich are responsible for the first parental advisory that's not Scoopin uh, influenced. Right. I do love that Richard, you know, just looks at the bamboo and says, These bundles will not sink. Let's just put them together. So they just put together just the bundles, right? Which, which, looking back, is like super brilliant. Like it's so yeah. like ridiculous. It gives them their first win, which is like amazing to think about. All these challenges they work so hard on. It's second place, second place, and the one challenge they win is the one where Richard just says, "So I just tie some twine around it and we'll paddle it." Yeah. It's the same strategy he's been using in All Stars in general, which is fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, they get to the challenge. They're basically playing for the Hawaiian sling, which Rupert has an orgasm on the spot. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> you know, and and uh, you know, the Mogo Mogo and what and and Saboga are playing for a for a, a clue to the rice box or whatever. And then he's like, "The losing tribe will get dissolved." I mean, Saboga will eventually get dissolved. <laughs> yes. Uh, so they go. Out, yeah, Rupert builds a, a raft that that rivals his shelter. Good job, Rupert. Yeah, but I don't know if it was so much the raft. Like you know, Jeff made a lot of uh, Jeff made a lot of of, of uh, jokes about um, you know, like like oh, it's it's the best looking raft. It's the least effective. And I was like, I think the people paddling on the raft are, are <laughs> probably you know are probably doing 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 more harm than the raft, really. So that yeah. means R- Rupert sucks at paddling too. Just to yeah. add it to the list of failures. All right, that's fine. Well, he's also got Jenna Lewis, worst challenge person ever. <laughs> I agree with that, though. I mean, I think one of the big reasons that Mogo Mogo gets out to such an early lead is because you have you have Lex and Colby, these like beasts of upper upper body strength, just like paddling as hard as they can. So of course they're gonna take the lead, and, and you have Mariano on the other tribe, and he's it's him and Sue, and Sue has a good amount of upper body strength too. So they were kind of outmatched to begin with when they had to pick only two people to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mogul Mogul comes in first in this challenge, uh, you know, but Shapira, of course, comes in second. And it's funny because, like, you know, Jeff's like, they're celebrating before they're even crossing the line. But it's like Mogul Mogul's crossing the line like eight years ahead of Shapira, who's crossing yeah. the line like eight years ahead of Saboga. <laughs> but, you know, then we get we get really it's funny because you talked about it, we get our first real sort of strategic talks. And it's it's even before this challenge is over. It's where, you know, they're talking in Mogul Mogul's one and they're like, 
you know, they've, they've told that the losing tribe's going to get dissolved and they see that Saboga's going to lose and they're like, we need to get Ethan so we can control him. Yeah. Yeah, this is basically a pick of who gets to vote off Ethan. <laughs> Which Mogo Mogo wins. So, you there know, you they, they come in last. Yeah. Saboga has the thing. And then, you know, Mogo Mogo picks, they pick Ethan. So Shapira picks Rupert. Great pick. And then, uh, and then, then Colby and Mogo Mogo pick Jerry. Yeah, that has to say something for you if you get picked after Jerry. So way I mean, to go, Jenna Lewis. Jenna Lewis is the worst challenge person ever. I'm telling you, she's terrible. And then it's funny because like even Jeff gets a dig where he's like, Jenna, your last pick. You can do the honor if the, if if you can call it that of of retiring Saboga. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> yeah. dig. But oh, we get a Jerry and Colby reunion. Oh, yeah. Mm. He does. He does give her a hug. It's a good he, point. Then she pours chocolate all over his bod. Look, look, <laughs> he's now a Hershey bar. <laughs> it took two years. It's, it's, it's true. I mean, I do like, though, that they get to Mogo Mogo and, like, you know, Jerry is just looking around like, oh, my God, you mean you didn't build a log cabin that you dug down <laughs> in the earth for? I'm in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry found some friends, finally. Ethan has a really fun quote here about how he talks about how this game or this season in general just feels like one big first day for him, which great... is really interesting because if you look back on it, it does feel like our Charlie Brown of the season is playing every day like it is the first day of the season just because he keeps getting thrown into random situations. It seems like every episode that he has to kind of claw his way out of. It, that is so true. That's such a good confessional from Ethan. Yep. And I will say it's kind of nice just from Survivor history perspective, you know, Jenna Lewis being the least interesting person in the cast other than maybe Amber, like she was kind of running the game for a while. And all of a sudden she's really obsolete the rest of the season after this. She's not really particularly important after this. So right, like, it's kind of nice. They took the power away from her and dumped her onto Shapira. <laughs> yeah. Jenna Lewis was, was the mastermind of Saboga. Yep. I will repeat that again. Jenna Lewis was the mastermind <laughs> of Saboga. I hate that we live in a world where Jenna Lewis voted out Tina. I can't tell you how much that hurts me. <laughs> We'll just pretend it never happened. Yeah, it never happened. Fake season. This is like an all-star game. The stats don't count. She does say it. Like, I love that Jerry is just so happy, and she's just trying to be so happy over at Mogo Mogo, and I think that she is. Like, you know, she's she's now on a tribe with people that isn't Rupert and Jenna, and, you know, she's she's in a place that actually has a functional shelter of some sort. You know, so she's, like, happy, and that's fun to see. And then we cut over to Shapira, where Jenna does say, like, hey, man, I had control, and now I don't. And now I'm upset, and I'm like, Jenna, oh, my God, you keep losing. You suck. Yeah. Yeah, it's like Boston Rob having control back on Marquesas. It wasn't really buying him anything at the time. Right. It's like you're in control of Mara Amu. <laughs> yeah, good job, dude. <laughs> All right. Well, five people. Yay. All right. One thing I do have to point out here, it's kind of positive. Um, most people kind of saw their legacies go down in All-Stars. We're going to start devolving where every confessional is someone just trashing somebody else and making fun of them. But there's a nice little comment here from Richard that I always like pointing out where he kind of talks about what a good player Ethan is. Mm-hmm. he's like yeah Richard's always playing the game out here like do you want to go fishing oh I don't want to step on your toes I don't want it and Ethan Richard's like ooh he's good he's good it's like I, I love it's, a a, really, it's, it's a rare compliment from Richard he doesn't I, compliment anybody I love his face he's like ooh he's good yeah and that's the thing he doesn't throw around compliments so Ethan's like one of the few guys his legacy actually was stayed intact or even went up in all stars because people said nice things about him so I have to point that out Ethan's a player. I mean, I think that I think that Ethan did well for himself all the way through. And then, of course, that's followed later where Ethan catches a fish and Richard gets all pissy. 
and catches 12 more. <laughs> yeah. It's like, he got a fish. I'm the only one who's supposed to catch fish. We have to fix that. Got to bring back 12 now. And one of the best, one of the better fun confessionals from Kathy is just like, oh, lots of fish here. You know, the boys want to keep one upping each other. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. I love how, like, that's what they're doing. They're literally one trying to one up each other. And, like, Kathy just sees it. And she's like, yeah, it's a pissing contest, but we're getting fish out of it. See, to me, that's way more interesting than watching people just talk strategy. I just like the basic human dynamic of Ethan wanting to make us make a place for himself in the tribe and show value. And Richard's like, fuck that. And he just totally smacks him down. And Ethan's like, what am I, what can I possibly do in this game? Everything I do, they, someone beats me at it. So I just kind of love that little dynamic. And Richard's like a little five-year-old, little spoiled brat that someone took his toy. <laughs> so anyway, uh, let's go to the immunity challenge, guys. Attack oh, zone. Attack zone. Woo. Yeah, but even though there there is an attack zone, but they make no mention of it. It's just like when they're out on the platform, they can spar, but there's nothing about like keep your foot inside the line, which made me really disappointed. <laughs> yeah, well, they didn't want like everyone to get just disqualified on a technicality. They didn't want anyone to lose to a bunch of rules this time, Mike. <laughs> but they could they could have missed out on, on impressions of people. <laughs> well, you know, there was two. There was the attack zone, and then a couple platforms over, there was the penetration zone. <laughs> 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 so anyway, um, <laughs> so how this challenge works is it's a series of balance beams that interconnect with each other, sort of like the one in Thailand, but not over water. This one's just kind of over land up in the air. And then in the middle of the course, there's an attack zone over a small pool of water. And basically, you know, you had to go out on the course. You had to alternate and everyone had to go and then, uh, you know, grab flags. And I think it was first to 20 or something ridiculous. But like if if two people on the opposing tribes met on that middle bridge section, then they had to have an attack zone fight and whoever won got to move on. Whoever didn't had to go back to the start. So anyway, we get this challenge where like, I just was watching. I'm like, that's a lot of flags. Like it was just a lot of flags. Like it just seemed like a really long challenge. The one thing that jumps out is me is that attack zone looked dangerous in this one. The attack zone is yeah. dangerous in this one. Ethan, yeah, like, Ethan smacks his head on the side of the pool. Yeah, that could not have felt, I don't care how much padding was there. He went face first side of his head hits that padding. Like, in Thailand, at least it was just over water. They fall down there in the water. This one was really dangerous to the point that it almost looked like Boston Rob kind of tried to hurt Ethan. Like, he just rammed him into that wall. So, and it, yeah, they, I mean, if I was a lawyer for this show, I would have been had a, a lot of reservations about seeing that set. Like, someone's going to get hurt on that thing. Yeah, because Rob and Ethan, I think, have the, first ta- have the first attack, right? Yeah, and then Rob just drives him face first into that wall. Rob, Rob drives him face first, and then we learn that Jeff Probst is, is not doing the spirit of the law. He's literally doing the letter of the law because it's like, you know, to be honest, Rob does get the better of Ethan in this thing. Like, Rob picks him up and, and slams him down and slams Ethan's head on the on the thing. But because Rob was, you know, going forward and kind of diving forward, Rob's feet hit the water before Ethan's body hits the water, and so Jeff's like, you know, Rob, you went in the water first. It's Ethan's win. I'm like, yeah, okay. Did he do that? I don't remember that. He actually yeah, did he, that? Yeah, he does oh. do that. Oh, wow. Um, okay. we, we get one, and we get one with uh, Richard and Jenna, and we get our first instance of <laughs> Jenna Lewis re- refuting the fact that something may not have gone her way. Yeah, Richard yeah. just tosses her in the water, and they, they go in, in a heap, and then he's just like, Jenna, hit the water first. No way! <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the ironic thing about that scene is Jenna has an interaction with a guy, and then his pants come off afterwards. <laughs> oh boy! Yes. Oh, so that's yeah. So Richard, Jenna goes in the water. Richard win, or Richard goes down too, and that's when his pants come off. This is kind of sets the scene for all the drama later. 
So Rich, Richard, Rich, Richard has the battle with Jenna, which you know Jenna doesn't feel like she went in the water first, but she did. And then Richard gets naked, and uh, then you know people keep uh, keep going. Rupert can't ever go across one balance beam. Tom has the fun one where he takes like the tumble, but he hangs on. Well, then he he knocks Ethan like again with the Charlie Brown analogy. Ethan gets another chance in an attack zone, and now Big Tom just knocks him off. Yep. Yeah, but the, but this one, like, Ethan did hit the water first. Like, they awarded the first one to Ethan because Rob hit the water first, technically. But uh, they get that. But then, of course, we get Sue on the course. And then they get to a point where Richard's there. And then Sue can take two paths, but she wants to take the one path because that's the one she feels most comfortable with. Well, yeah, and she taunts Richard to come over. She's like, yeah. come on, baby. And he's like, you want some? And she's like, come on over. Like, again, for all that happens later, there was a lot of playfulness that led up to it. That's all I'm saying. Right. Not to mention, not to mention, Kathy was there. Oh yeah, of course. Kathy was right there on the same platform. So anyway, you know, this is the incident where you know Sue is is there on the platform, and Rich comes once some, and he basically just grinds up against her. And of course, Richard is naked uh, and whatnot. And I mean, everyone, everyone at the time was just like, "Oh, come on, oh." And I mean, I think even Jeff's like, "Come on, guys, nobody wants that." Yeah, nobody did. And nobody... again, it, it happens without incident at the time. Nobody says a word. Sue doesn't even seem that upset at the time. Well, yeah. you can and this say isn't, this isn't yeah, this isn't to absolve her of of feeling bad about it afterwards. But yeah, at the time, it just kind of passes. It's kind of a non incident. Yeah, they're going, and then Sue has the head. It's funny because Sue is the one. Well, she's the one that we we're shown and whatnot. But you know, we see, of course, that Boston Rob is just dominating this challenge. Not only is he knocking people in the water, even though he technically lost that first one to Ethan. You know, he uh, he's going around. He's flying through this course, just you know getting flag after flag so then you know sue's just basically like i'm gonna jump down so rob can go so like once rob gets back with the flag and they're nearing the end like everybody just does a carousel on shapira so that rob can go back there on the course and then rob has a showdown rob and colby oh yeah and this is a big one this is where he actually lifts colby up and just slams him down to the water yep mm-hmm. and and then uh so rob gets the thing and uh then finally he i think he knocks kathy in the water really quickly at the end and shapira wins yeah, I mean, this is one of the all-time great Boston Rob is a badass moments. So, again, if, if you like Boston Rob, this is one of his crowning achievements, this challenge. He owns it like few challenges have ever been owned before. He, yeah. he crushed it. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of compare it to... not. It's not as blatantly... Uh, you know, it's, it's not as polar opposite as Coach Frog Marching Colby in her, <laughs> Heroes of Resilience, but it's very similar in terms of... Rob has a confessional afterwards about, like, you know, Ethan, he's not so tough. Colby, he's not as tough as you think, ladies. So it's it's kind of interesting. This whole season seems to be about characters like Boston Rob helping take these reputations of these great Survivor players, these great Survivor characters, and just shattering them. And this is one example of him t- taking these really dominant male physical players and just wrecking them. Well, yeah, and I, I have a lot of problems with All-Stars. I mean, obviously we're going to get some, some bigger ones later, but like... The producers didn't have to put that confessional in where Boston Rob is like, Colby's not as tough as you think, ladies. Like, it's just kind of a mean-spirited thing to say about one of your biggest stars. And I'm kind of surprised the producers would even put that. And there's there's just a lot of negativity and kind of meanness about the season that we're going to hit. And that's just one little example right there. There's no really reason for that quote to be in there other than to bring down Colby and or to make Boston Rob look like a badass and or dick, depending on what you think of him. I think it was there for two reasons because my wife actually commented on that confessional. We, I was watching that just today just to, as a refresher. And uh, what she noticed, I mean, 
my wife's not like the biggest survivor expert, but she's seen all the seasons. She's clearly familiar with Rob. And, you know, I think that they included it because it harkens back to his slamming on the row twos sort of thing in Marquesas. It's just, you know, something Rob does is just make fun of people and confessionals. And I think yeah. that they were trying to make Rob look like a badass. I mean, he did well in this challenge and, and he's going on. But, you know, just the way he says it, the way he's looking at the camera, like my wife just, you know, after that scene, she just turns to me and says, that guy just knows how to work an interview. You know what I mean? Like, she was she was impressed by just you know what he was doing. She wasn't impressed that he took down Colby. She couldn't care less. But like you know, just it's it's a good confessional for Rob in the, in the sense that you know he's just working it. Yeah, he is. All right, just to go back to the actual Rich and Sue moment because this will become important. It's kind of funny when you know there was a parental advisory before that scene because it's really not explicit or blatant at all when you watch it. It's kind of uh, weird to me that they had that they thought it was worth putting in a parental advisory uh, suggested for this episode just because of that scene. Because unless you go to the next episode and Sue's reaction, you wouldn't even know that anything big happened in this one. It's kind of funny that that the way it was portrayed. Yeah, but I think there was probably some legalese that went with that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but then again, if you go back to the thing that I brought up last podcast with uh, the E News story about how Richard Hatch does something so bad. So vile that it causes one castaway to walk away from the game. And looking at it, if you really thought it was like, oh, it's it's that thing. He just yeah. <laughs> he just does he does that, and that causes someone to walk away from the game. That's a little rude. But then again, we'll see the uh, fallout from it. It clearly has more psychological ramifications than we initially expected. Yeah, and it could have been going on longer. It could have been way more explicit than we saw on TV. They might have chopped it down. So we have no idea what the actual thing looked like. No pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> but anyway, uh, after this incident, uh, Mogo Mogo is lost because, uh, you know, uh, Colby has the fun confessional at some point where he was like, before, slow and steady wins the race. Now, second place gets you home. Yep. You and know, now but, it's the, I was going to say, it's the fall of Richard Hatch. I'm for the downfall of Richard Hatch. Yeah. And I, I, I think that, you know, this, this, it's a, it's a, it's a interesting thing watching this this tribe i mean mogomogo is the no fun tribe and you know for for something that actually you would think they'd have a lot of fun with they managed to have not a lot of fun with it yeah it's it's fun later the payoff moment but yeah the yeah. lead up to it where they try they have to hide the, the fact that richard might not go home which is bs there's no way richard's not going home again i have to point out this is the first time they could have taken Richard out of the game. So it's not like he really made it through any votes or anything. Well, I think that there was confusion. You did see like them going on. I think that maybe they were thinking they were going to vote Ethan out just because they, they acquired Ethan in the, in mm-hmm. the dissolvement. Yeah. And so they were like, maybe Ethan was going first over Rich. And so you can make the, you can make the argument that perhaps you know, they thought that you know, they'd get rid of Ethan first because he's the outsider and then Rich second. I mean, I, I agree with you, Mario, that there was no way in hell that Richard Hatch was surviving a couple of votes there just because it's Richard, right? But I, I think that, you know, they were genuinely shocked. They were like, all right, well, Ethan first and Richard. But, you know, basically they wanted to just, you know, they wanted to get Richard out right away. I mean, I was just, you know, they, they just wanted to do it. Yeah, and I don't even know if it's strategy is so much as they wanted the glory. They yeah. all wanted to be yeah. the guy that votes Richard. There could be a twist tomorrow. He could end up on Shapira, and then they don't get to say they voted out Richard. So... And again, I don't blame him for it. I would have been exactly the same if I'd been a player in All-Stars that I want to vote out Richard. I want to be there for that moment. I want him to see my parchment come up with his name on it. I just, I mean, it's it's a glory thing. And there's no way to really explain that unless someone knows the, the legacy of Survivor and what it was at the time and how 
bigger Richard was than any other player. That's that's the thing. If you get him out, that's a win just in itself. Yeah. So we so we get our uh, what seems like now typical post immunity challenge edit of here's the first obvious boot, but here's the distraction that might happen, which is in this case is Colby, which is starting to be orchestrated by Jerry just purely for revenge. Yeah, Jerry, Jerry's got her own little agenda in the season that really doesn't match anybody else's, but it's nice that we hear it about it a lot. <laughs> it's nice I, that we hear it about yeah. it a lot. Uh, I'm I, so I glad vote, I got to hear that. Yeah, I want to vote Colby. I just want to last longer than Colby. Then I can go home. Like, Thanks, Jerry. But uh, they're, as they're marching off to Tribal Council, there's a little thing I want to point out. People are always asking us to mention little little details about the episode. There's a shot of Richard walking to his final tribal council. And if you look at him, it looks like he's mouthing the opening drum sound for the tribal council music. Like he's actually mouthing the music. And what's funny is the music happens right after that, the tribal council music. So it's kind of funny. It looks like he, he's singing along with it as if, he, as if he's watching it on TV. It's kind of a cute little moment. Yep. So anyway, we get to... We get to... Uh, uh, Sorry, we get to tribal council, and you know, it it really seems like Jerry's going to go home, or Colby's going to go home, right? Oh wait, no, it isn't. <laughs> yeah, nope. Like Richard's quote, you know, Jeff. Of course, I have no target on my back. <laughs> <laughs> to to uh, the very end, he was just trolling the whole season. That's what I love about Richard. And that's so sad because it's the no fun tribe. Uh, aside from his reaction, aside from Moga Moga reacting to his bamboozled comment, like nobody reacts to it. Everyone's just sitting stern. Looking ahead, it's it's sad. He's the uh, he's the class clown in the room full of uh, study hard nerds. Now, interesting. It's why is that? Because Kathy was kind of fun in Marquesas. Colby was fun at times in Australia. I'm curious. Was Lex really that big an influence on the tribe that his mood could drive the entire tribe? Because he's not really fun, and he really wasn't fun at all in this season. I'm just curious why it was such a not fun tribe. Part of me wonders if it was the circumstances of the season itself considering that the, you have these pretty quippy confessionals but i mean they're the weather's been bad the food situation's been horrible yeah, i mean we didn't talk about this but mogamogu does get their third key and they get their rice supply in half of it's rotten so they're they're not in a good place to begin with and they're they're facing half of them are facing their first vote so part of me thinks that maybe they're just like all right i just need to make it through and make sure that nothing happens and that's kind of the thing that they're thinking about they're not really they have, they have their blinders on. They're not really paying attention to Rich Hatch and the peripherals. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, Richard was Richard was checked out, right? Richard was just doing his thing, right? But you have Jenna Maraska there at the beginning who is yeah. is has her mind elsewhere. <laughs> She's gone. And then you have, I think, Lex, you know, and, and Kathy's fun, right? But, you know, Kathy is... Kathy's a player, right? Yeah. And I, I'm not saying that Kathy, you know, I think Kathy wanted to win. She's going to play hard and, and try to win. And, and I'm not saying that she wasn't. But, you know, Ka- Kathy is going to go with the flow, you know, because she's a she's a good player. Like, she's going to kind of go in and whatever. And I just think that Lex was was really driving, like, an intense thing. And I think Sheehan was also trying to drive <laughs> some sort of intense thing. And so, you know, that sort of leaves Colby. And I think Colby... You know, I, I don't ever think that, you know, I think Kobe really put his heart out there in Australia and then it really wasn't in All-Stars and it definitely wasn't in Heroes versus Villains. You know, so I think that, you know, Lex and Kobe just, you know, it, it just became very workmanlike. See, I was just going to blame it all on Sheehan saying she's probably the biggest buzzkill to hang out with ever. 
<laughs> so between Lex and Xi'an, I'm not sure who would be less fun to be on a tribe with. I, got, I mentioned it briefly in the Thailand podcast. Xi'an actually reminds me a lot of my sister. Like she has kind of the same mannerisms and just the way she speaks reminds me a lot of my sister. And my sister is like super smart, studious and stuff like that. But at, at the same time, you know, Xi'an's got a, got a great sense of humor in, in a lot of these interviews and stuff like that. I just, you know, I think that Xi'an was really just, again, one of those fringe all-stars that didn't mm-hmm. finish in a so great place in, in her one season. And also she's the one that got faked out by the fake merge. Like, I think she was really trying to, you know, in her, in her own way, you know, uh, game and, and make something you know better for herself then so i think that you know a lot of the you know any fun that she may have is being thrown right out the window yeah and i also yeah, have to point out i also have to point out that nearly everybody hated her after living with her in, in thailand nearly everybody hated her after living with her in all-stars so there's probably some correlation there also that yeah nothing personal yeah we love her but i don't want to live with her <laughs> nothing personal it's just i don't <laughs> like you and i don't want to be around you <laughs> exactly sorry Sue Yi. <laughs> Uh, Brian right, Heidegg so and Rob Zabaknik references. We're doing well. Exactly. So let's get rid of Hatcher, get rid of the legend, the king. So anyway, you know, it, it all goes down and then, you know, we always get the, the, I think, I think the, the episode was named after this, but you know, of course the votes come down and everyone is voted for Richard. Everyone. I've been bamboozled. I've been bamboozled. <laughs> That's a great quote. And what's funny is I think he actually really was blindsided. He actually did not think he was going home that night, which is funny. And I love how like, he right. knocks almost he almost knocks Colby over with like an unexpected <laughs> pat on the back. Yeah. It's just a little too hard. <laughs> <laughs> I love that when Colby votes for him, he just writes Hatch. He never actually calls him Richard, it's always Hatch. Hatch. <laughs> and and Col- what's funny is that, you know, you see people like Ethan like, you know, always switching up his handwriting, you know, on the parchments and stuff like yeah. that. And Colby has got I mean, I literally am jealous of Colby's ha- uh, printing on his cards. Like it's so good. You know, every time. And so, like, he holds up that hatch card. I'm like, it's perfect. Yeah, he didn't write. Colby's handwriting. I was going to say, it should be one of the fonts in Microsoft Word, Colby handwriting. (laughs) I was going to say, at least he didn't write 260-pound gay fisherman on his his boat. (laughs) Yeah, Jeff's like, who are you talking about? Like, who the (laughs) fuck do you think I'm talking about? No nicknames, guys. Yeah, Sheehan. It's Sheehan. He also didn't write, hi, baby. (laughs) But yeah, the thing with Richard, obviously a big moment, and I've kind of joked about this, that All-Stars really couldn't start until this happened, until Richard, the inevitable Richard blindside took place. Like I always refer to it as like the checkered flag if this was a NASCAR race. This is kind of where the the race starts and everything. At least I'm assuming that's how NASCAR starts. (laughs) I'd have to ask Chris Doherty to get him on here. But yeah, this this was a big moment, and... Again, while it was sad, it was also inevitable. You knew when Richard got voted out, you just hoped it would be fun. And it was about as fun as it could have been, so I, I can't really hold anything against it. And they and the players other all the players there all appreciated the moment. They knew what a big T V moment this would be. You could yes. see it on Kathy's face Kathy's and all of that. Kathy's face just, was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they knew. I mean, that was, they knew their history and they knew this would be a big moment and they played it up. And Richard dances away saying, Food, food, food. What you interpret is he's saying food is in I'm going to get food or food is in you all aren't going to get food because you don't have me fishing. Oh, I think it's deep. both. It's deep. Yeah. <laughs> he's basically Socrates. He's dropping philosophy lessons. On Socrates. Him. Socrates. <laughs> Socrates. <laughs> Socrates Johnson. <laughs> There's, I got to point this out, though. There's something really funny in, in, in Richard's final words. If you look at the watch the DVD, it's got his whole final words. And one of them is on there where he's talking about uh, – Every single alumni event he'd been to in the last four years, 
people would come up to him and say, you're gone first on All-Stars. If we ever get an All-Stars, we're voting you off first. So, like, he was under no illusion that he was going to go anywhere in All-Stars. And so his final words actually on the DVD are, uh, I wrote it down here, well, at least I'm fifth, not first, so there. Which I, th- I think those are great final words. <clears throat> and I also have to point out, he kind of blamed Colby for his dismissal. It's, it turns out it turns out he had talked to Colby the day, right before his vote, and he really read what everything was Colby was saying as being trustworthy. He thought Colby was on his side. He didn't think they were going to vote for him. And Richard says in his final words on the DVD, it's kind of interesting that he goes, I got fooled by Colby. I read you wrong. And I just think it's funny because, you know, there's legions of, of examples in history where men are tricked with a pretty girl. You know, if you have a crush on the girl, you can't read her correctly because you have the hots for her so she can trick you. And that's exactly what happened in this case because Richard had the hots for Colby. So once again, the kind of the pretty girl tricked him. He, he started thinking with the boner, you don't think correctly. So once again, his crush on Colby is what got him. If only he grinded up against Colby, it'd be a different story. <laughs> if only. <laughs> Not sort of, Colby. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get to that. This will be a fun one. Let's 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 do it. Episode yeah, well, again, six. Just, good, just farewell to Richard, one of the greats, and that was a great ep- great ending to an episode. Richard, anyway. you were, yeah, I will say, Richard, you were great, and I think that you had the best attitude going in and leaving, well, maybe not leaving because of all the, you know, fun stuff with Suak, but I mean, I think that, you know, ultimately, you, Richard had no bones about what he was getting into in Survivor All-Stars, and it shows. Mm-hmm. He certainly had no bones for Sue, absolutely not. That is absolutely Absolutely true. not. Yeah, but I Should do we, think... But should we really talk about placements and money right now? I mean, should we get this out of the way? You can if you want. I just wanted to point out that once Richard goes, the season really isn't fun anymore. There's really no more fun to be had starting about now, so unfortunately. Yeah. But yeah, talk about money. Yeah, well, and also one of the things, it's it's an elephant that we haven't really talked about, and I don't want to spend a lot of time about it, but it's something people do know. You know, Survivor has somewhat of a payout scale, right? Like the winner gets a million dollars, and traditionally the second place uh, gets a hundred grand, and then uh, third place on down gets sort of the sliding scale of money. And the rumor is, and, and you know, there's a lot of truth to the rumor, is that the payouts for Survivor All-Stars was on a slightly different scale. You probably know more about this one than I do. I, I kind of didn't pay attention to this at the time, so I'll, I'll handle this. Let you handle this one. Well, the rumor has it, you know, winner gets a million dollars, second place gets uh, something along the lines of like two hundred or two hundred fifty k, and then the third place gets a little bit less than that, like somewhere in the hundreds or whatever. And so basically, what what this means is that the payouts for all these placements are larger. So more than any survivor, not only are survivors really clinging for places in the game maybe to up their legacy like a Jenna Lewis or something like that but the uh, the the uh, the payouts are so much bigger so like you know getting 6th place instead of 8th place is actually going to be extremely lucrative for you whereas in the past it wasn't that lucrative so people are going to be clinging to spots as this goes people bear in mind as we get near the end with this wasn't didn't 18th place they, it's a significant buff for 18th place wasn't it I'm trying yeah. to remember. I can't remember the exact amount. I don't know. If, I think it was something. something for some reason, the number sixteen thousand dollars reverberates in my mind. I don't know if that was the amount, but I, I feel like it was something around that for 18th place. You you also forgot to mention that if you're Rupert, you automatically get a hundred thousand at the end of the season. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then and then another million. Yeah. Yes. God. Did he get a million or a hundred thousand? For the people's vote? For Did he win a million for that? That's a million. He won a full million for that. That's a, that's a yeah. million. 
I didn't even pay attention to that because I thought it was so dumb. But no, that a, was a wow. He's a he's a he's a millionaire because of that. Absolutely. Well, he earned it with his awesome placement in All Stars, with his awesome performance. All right, let's move on to the Sue episode here. Okay, so we're having too much fun. Let's let's, let's drag it down here. <laughs> wow. So so yeah. we get a nice we get a nice confessional from Jerry here, and she's just basically talking about how you know Jerry is basically telling us she's willing to be a pawn in this game, and she's you know right before Tribal Council, she's like. Who's going home? And Kathy's like, it's going to be Hatch. And she wrote for Hatch. And then Kathy's basically like, yeah, I could have maybe voted for Colby because I wanted to vote for Colby, but I didn't want to make that unilateral move without Lex. And then they're talking about it in the water. And she ends like, wow, Kathy, you're so powerful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kathy was actually in a really good position here. So just kind of keep that in mind when the Boston Robin Lex stuff goes down that Kathy, Kathy get, takes the biggest hit out of anybody there. No. Yeah, and she Kathy has some really good insight here, actually, because she does benefit from the fact that she knows how these her trimates have previously played the game. Because, as was shown, apparently it was talked about in the beginning of this episode that she had come up, she had wavered back and forth between voting Hatch and voting Colby right up until they got the torches, and then that's when she told Jerry and Sheanne vote Hatch. But she said that one of the big reasons why she ended up voting Hatch and signing with Lex is because she knew what had happened to uh, Kelly Goldsmith. And she knew that if she had to come back to a betrayed Lex, that her game was officially done if they had to go to Tribal Council again. So I thought that was really astute of Kathy and a really great way of using uh, the whole idea of previous reputations that the All-Star season brought. Absolutely. That's a very good point. Good job, Temp. Thanks. (laughs) All right. That was my uh, poll impression. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) I do like here, we, we do get a little scene where, like, they're, it's Rupert and Tom and, and Rob, you know, are all out kind of like doing fishing and stuff like that. And Rupert's fishing. And of course, you know, people always remember sort of the Boston Rob part of this where he's like, you know, you know, he's basically, you know, well, you know, as long as he keeps feeding fish, you know, I'll be happy. You know, he, he better do that. And, you know, he will continue to do that until, you know, he until it's time for him to go. And that time will be determined by me. Like everyone remembers this badass Boston Rob asserting his will sort of thing but you know what i always remember is you know the whole point where like tom is talking about how he likes rupert and then he's like you know rupert could easily take my place and it's like yeah tom he could (laughs) that's kind of what happens good job tom Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm just going through here we got the whole colby versus sheehan confrontation which i really couldn't care that much about you you don't have to care that much about it but it is it's an interesting thing because i think that you know there to me, it's it's not that people don't understand the game. It's not that. It's that it's showing the difference in, in, in the way the game evolves. Because, you know, Colby's talking about, you know, he basically is talking to Sheehan that, you know, yeah, you're flying under the radar and I have zero respect for that. And that's fine. There are people that play the game 20-whatever seasons into Survivor that we are now that don't have any respect for that sort of play. But, like... I always love it when people are like, I don't respect people that fly under the radar. I don't respect people that, you know, play a more, you know, uh, less flashy version of Survivor. And they're like, I don't respect it. And it's like, well, you can not respect it all you want, but it is a legitimate strategy and you need to combat it somehow. And, you know, going and telling Xi'an, you know what, I don't respect anything that you're doing out here. Doesn't seem like the best thing you could be doing with your time. But anyway. Yeah, it's just... Again, like you said, Colby's heart really wasn't 100% into this game. That's one of those things. He would not have done that in Australia, I don't feel. This one, he just kind of just couldn't put up with someone like Xi'an. Because he says later that Xi'an is the same as Jerry in his mind. They're the exact same person. So it's like he just can't handle people like that after a certain point. He just doesn't care that much. That's what it seems like to me. Yeah. 
So you have to think about like if a person like Sh- did he really think a person like Shan would actually take his comments to heart, or would they have the reaction that she actually had, which was basically her tuning him out almost immediately? Yeah, and it's almost also a sign of Colby having absolute faith in his position that him, Lex, and Kathy aren't going to turn on each other right now. It's that. It's a lot of things. I just you know, and and you know, it's just really funny when people really get down on on a more you know, under the radar strategy and survivor. And they're just like, I have, I have no patience, no tolerance for it. It's like, well, you need to have some because people do it out there. Yeah. It works. And it, and it works, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, 20, whatever seasons later, I think John Cochran's going to say something like this game respects big moves. And I'm like, I would actually argue somewhat the opposite, like the edit and Jeff Probst respect big moves, but you know, a lot of people who make smaller moves end up winning the game. (laughs) Yeah. I'm waiting for Derek Jeter to like go up to an interview and say, I don't respect people who throw curveballs. I just don't respect that curveball. Yeah. Like, well, they're going to keep throwing it, so get ready for it. Bring me the cheese or nothing at all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right, so what have we got here? Uh, well, we get, we get a fun thing, and, and this is what I was talking about a lot earlier. This is, we get back to Shapira, and this is where Sue is kind of, it's, it's our first thing where Sue is just basically like, oh, I hope they vote Richard out. You know, it was it was really not good what they did to me. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, that was disgusting what he did to you. But you can see her and she's like, they should vote him out. I mean, winners, they shouldn't even be here. There you go. Again, I hate to defend Jenna Lewis. I hate it. I hate it. But she's not the only one saying that. Everyone's saying that. Everyone was saying it. I mean, even in the scene where in the scene is, is more of a focus on Sue is upset that Richard did something to her. But even in that scene, you could see that Sue is just parroting what everyone winners shouldn't even be out there. And there you go. So then we uh, we kind of flash forward to the next day where Sue has apparently had a, a very rough night, and this is when uh, everything kind of starts breaking down with her. Yeah, this is a weird episode. <laughs> and again, the whole theme, the whole tone of this episode is going to waver all over the place for the next 30 minutes. It's weird. It is is such a weird episode. Like, I cannot defend this episode, and I don't want to defend this episode. I don't like this episode. And I mean, not only is it just the subject matter, which I don't really like very much, but just the fact that you're right. I mean, the tone, it's, it's like, what side are they on? What are yeah, they trying to do? Yeah. yeah, it's really weird. They're like trying to... They have to leave in the confessional for Rob wondering if she's making it up to get a lawsuit out of CBS. Like, CBS has to kind of put that in there to cover their butts in case that's their opinion as well. So it's weird. There's, like, a, there's a really interesting, like, schism on Shapira of, of the sexes where, and I, I, I don't know if it happens to just divide because of gender or whether it's, you know, substantial thoughts of the gender. But it seems like all the women are, like, very supportive and very sympathetic with Sue, whereas the guys they all three of them all seem to have these confessionals where they're questioning her motives of whether it's dubious or whether she's playing up her position. I thought that was so interesting. Yeah. I asked Brian Heideck. He said, nothing happened. Nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing happened. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Clay and Brian think nothing happened. Yeah, just, you're right. I mean, there's that conversation that Alicia had with big Tom, you know, where, you know, big Tom's just like, yeah, whatever. And Alicia's like, look, we're not there. We, we, we didn't do it. We can't question her on this. And Tom's like, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, then, fair play, or uh, well, not fair play, Boston Rob brings <laughs> up that maybe maybe she's doing this like fair play, and she's kind of doing this to get leverage, like sympathy from the other people, yeah. which is a, a very astute way to think of that. I mean, right, this is the season after Dead Grandma, so like that will flash through your mind. Maybe she's doing this so people will feel bad for her. So you had that crosses everyone's mind. They have, they have no idea what's going on in their head. Right. I mean, it's, it's Rupert, actually, with some clairvoyance. I mean, Rupert's telling us what's, you know, he's just like, well... 
you know, she she could have said something right away, but she didn't. So that wasn't well in her handle. But, you know, she had it on. The, she sat on it for a night and I mean, she got, you know, processed it. And, she, and then she got really angry. Like Rupert is basically spelling out what's going on with Sue. You know, it's a weird episode when the man who built the log cabin is the yeah. voice of reason. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. It's weird, and then they counterpoint it. What what I always feel like Survivor does a good job with is like if if they if if one tribe's saying something or, or has some sort of conversation or maybe something's heavy, and you know in in most seasons it's not heavy. Like my mother is about, is dying, or you know I, I I just got grinded on by Richard. Like you know a lot of times it's it's something within the game, but you know there's something heavy or something serious going on. And then they'll show something lighthearted with the other tribe, and it's like you've got this, and then they go over to Mogo Mogo, and they've got like Jerry who's like making a fake shopping list with all this, like, delicious food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So odd. And you're sitting there going, like, this This was the footage you chose. This is really weird. Yeah, then Lex becomes the fisherman. It's just, just There's lots of weird stuff. Like, again, this whole episode, the whole second half of it is just filler. Nothing happens in this episode that's remotely, I mean, applies to anything later in the season. It's just a weird kind of throwaway episode. And I hate to say that because of the Sue stuff, but it's just, yeah, it's just, they didn't really put much effort into this one mm-hmm. i will say one thing about the the whole jerry making the grocery list uh i feel like going back to her very first confessional in the in episode one that jay pointed out where she talked about how you know i just need to keep my damn mouth shut and i'll do well i feel like once the shelter disaster happened and she kind of snapped a little bit before coming back i think that just went completely out the window because now for the next few episodes all we're going to get is people talking about how annoyed they are with jerry talking yeah there's that i think that jerry though did play it a little bit better i mean i think that people didn't necessarily like living with jerry so much in australia and they didn't necessarily like living with her in all-stars but i think that she's uh, of a personality where if she doesn't like something she's gonna say it. it and it's not necessarily meant to wound but you know if she, if she doesn't like something she's going to complain like you know she's going to complain I, I don't know if this if it's this episode or the next one but she's going to complain that you know the the sleeping rack is not very comfortable right and she ends just like yeah whatever we all slept on it and we're not all complaining and i'm like i know you're not all complaining because a lot of you guys are taking a social cue and not complaining but jerry's just not that person she's going to say something and she doesn't necessarily want to have a big argument or you know bring the cameras over and have a lot of drama about it but it's like if she doesn't like something, she's going to say it. And in a lot of ways, it's admirable. And Survivor, it can get you in trouble. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with that. It's just unfortunate because then she also ended up on the, uh, the tribe of kind of the sourpusses. Uh, Shan and Kathy specifically in this episode are given the, uh, their perspectives about how annoyed they are with, with Jerry. And I think the next episode is when they actually do like the mean girls things of like making fun of her behind her back and doing like the blah, 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 talky faces, which is yeah, a right. different side of them. <laughs> yeah, again, just a mean spirited season. It gets really mean. Yeah. I mean, I have no doubt in my mind that perhaps Jerry is not the most, uh, uh, not the most pleasant person to live out there on the Island. But again, it's like, Jerry's not doing a whole ton wrong here. Just other than, you know, just some, some random whatever. And it's like, everyone just, it just grinds on everyone so badly. Yeah, and it's weird because she kind of got a redemption at it the first half of the season or the first couple episodes. Like, oh, well, I'm doing better this time. People like me. I just want a friend. Like, now that she's right back to old Jerry again. Yep. So anyway, we get back to Shapira, and this is where um, Jenna and Rupert and, and, and Rob and Amber sort of hook up, right? Yeah, I, I was mistaken when I said nothing happens in this episode that's significant. This is where the four-person alliance with uh, those four, Jenna, Boston, Rob, 
uh, Rupert and Amber. Yeah, that becomes important later. But again, it's not a particularly interesting scene. They just have to show it because it becomes important. Mm-hmm. Like Boston Rob's like, well, I don't trust Rupert, so I'm going to keep my enemies closer and make an alliance with him. So there you go. They're, they're a Final Four alliance. And Boston Rob points out that now he has an alliance with everybody in the game except Amber or except uh, Alicia and Sue, which is odd because that's not really everybody in the game. That's like a lot of people you don't have an alliance with. Yeah, that's, right. that's more like four people <laughs> out of like the 12 that are left. <laughs> yeah, so everybody but eight. Yeah, this this episode is establishing things that are going to come along, you know, sort of at the big blow up in the in the middle or the the merge part of the season, which is you know Rob and Amber and Jenna and Rupert solidifying. But then we cut over to Shapir or sorry to Mogo Mogo, and uh, Jerry basically says, "Lex, I am now an extra vote for you." Yep, yep. And, and like you know, Lex, I think was doing you know, it's like it's it's tough to know all the dynamics at Mogo Mogo, but you kind of figured that like. Lex was there and Kathy were both big power players, but then like Lex and Colby were kind of a, a duo, you mm-hmm. know, and like Kathy was with them, but you know, if, if push came to shove, they would probably break from each other and all that sort of stuff. But you know, they were sort of had this tight Mogo Mogo bond. And then Jerry comes in and says, Lex, I'm yours. I have to point out that I mentioned before that Lex's edit does a, does a, it like flips a switch at a certain point in the season where he goes from fun, lighthearted, like the, the survivor dad to just being an asshole. And it happens right here because this is followed immediately by the confessional where he says, I will exploit any friendship I have and it will get me further in this game. It's business this time. And Wait, if you what? Watch he, that, he said something that's going to come back on him later? <laughs> well, it's just what? funny. When they, the way they present it is with this really ominous, dark music. And it's not how Lex has been presented at any point this season. And what's funny is that every single time Lex will speak the remainder of the season, he will get that ominous, dark, evil music behind him. It's just, they completely do a 180 on his edit. It's right here, and it switches very dramatically. So just pay attention to that. Also pay attention that he said he would exploit <laughs> friendships and do anything because it's business out there. <laughs> oh, that won't come up later. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure it won't. Oh, no. shock. <laughs> All right. No, they need to fill time, so they just included that in there. Yeah. So we're about to get to Sue's quit here, and I have to say there's a very, you know, if you want one person to tastefully describe what Sue's going through in her delicate emotional state, it's Big Tom, who gives us this quote, if it's up to me, stick a fork in her, she's done. So there you go, the the voice of sympathy and compassion, Big Tom. I'm surprised you didn't call her a hag from hell, by the way. Kiss my ass, what a hag. So anyway... We get like yeah, we we get these sympathy moments from Sue. We get people saying, "I don't know if she's doing this for the money or what." I mean, it's a really weird episode. Then we go over to like, then there's alliances that are being formed. Like, there's all this weird stuff, and then we finally get to the challenge. And then Probst is like, "I want to address what's going on," or he's basically like, you know, he's been told that Sue is just catatonic at this point. So he's like, "Let's talk about it." And Sue basically goes off. Yeah, and he. Oh, in interviews, Jeff has said this is his least favorite moment in 28 seasons of Survivor, and I. I I watch it from his perspective now, now that I hear that, and it really is kind of kind of rude how Sue is just horrible to him, and he did nothing. Like, Jeff is just asking, so Richard was sort of inappropriate, and she just completely flips on him. I mean, sorta, Jeff, I was, vi- I mean, I'm not going to do the whole thing, but yeah, she just completely goes off on probes who really had nothing to do with it, and he's the one asking about it, so it's it's kind of sucks for him. Yeah, he's gone forward in interviews to say that All Stars, I remember, is the season where he he wanted to quit multiple times, and I feel like that was definitely, if not if that wasn't the start of it, it was at least one of the bigger points. Where he, I mean, if I were him, I would think like I don't I don't need to deal with this, you know. And yeah. He talked about it in his interview, but like all these egos out on the island, and I think that was a great example of like Sue clearly 
was in her wor- own world, had her own agenda, and Jeff was unfortunately in the crossfire because he was kind of the, the he's just the person in the line of fire. Yeah, well, Jeff is in a in a weird spot here, you know, in the in the the legacy of Survivor because nowadays it doesn't matter who's coming back. You know, Richard Hatch can come back, you know, in a season of Survivor. Now everyone's gonna bow to Jeff because Jeff has been there for twenty plus seasons now. I mean, he's executive producer. Like Jeff Probst is, for better or for worse, Survivor, and so no one's screwing with Jeff at this point. These all-stars, these stars of these first seasons that garnered all these ratings and stuff like that, they're going to screw with Jeff. They're okay with it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, newbies coming in are going to be in awe of Jeff. These guys aren't in awe of Jeff at this point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, to the, to the point that I really hope Sue apologized to Jeff, actually, at some point after the season. She's really kind of mean to him. And again, he did nothing wrong. No, but I, I think, though, that... You know, she went off on Jeff, but, you know, the bigger person with perspective in the sense, you know, if, if Jeff is upset and, you know, he took a lot of, you know, vitriol, you know, at his face with his name and all that sort of stuff. But it's like once she leaves, someone just walks up to Jeff and goes, you realize none of that was about you, right? Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you have to have some perspective there and say, yeah, the abuse was 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 pointed my way, but it wasn't directed at me per se. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, you know. Whether Sue apologized to him or not, I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you could just say, well, Jeff, wasn't really about you. So, chin up, buddy. And then we have to have this awkward challenge after this whole downer of a scene that really there's never been an equivalent to this in Survivor. And it's just yeah. really a harsh, harsh, harshly edited and, and just the whole thing is well, seen. You, you yeah. can also see CBS's, you know, viewpoint of it because it's not, I mean, after this happened... You know, it's not like, you know, they, they decided then to put it up to them whether they wanted to run a challenge. It wasn't like Jenna where they were like, everyone just go home. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, they, they went and talked and stuff like that. And what I love is that Jeff then says to him, he's like, well, we have a challenge here. It's for reward. It's for food. Um, we could run the challenge, winner take all, or we can just split it. And, you know, everyone's like, let's play, except for Jenna Lewis. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> a challenge I don't need to play and I get food? Yeah, okay. <laughs> You guys want to split this up and, and, and fix animosity between true tribes? And they're all like, no. <laughs> uh, but it's interesting because there's actually such a positive vibe yeah. <laughs> after that, during that challenge. And I think, I don't know whether it's because they're kind of forced to, to kind of rekindle the flames of this season after this extremely awkward situation. But I remember when they're lining up to do the challenge and it's the, it's the stomp stomp the goods into the basket challenge from Africa, but like Ethan and Tom are going to go and everyone's like cheering them on. And it's like the most raucous we've and energetic we've heard these people since like the first day. Yeah, it it, it was, it was a, a fun little atmosphere there. And may I say, Jenna Lewis did poorly in this challenge. I'm shocked. You shocked. <laughs> I'm shocked. Yeah. I was going to say, I got a, a neck injury from the jump in tone in this episode from <laughs> the horrible Sue incident to the fun of the challenge. Like, yeah, yeah whiplash from watching that jarring, transition but yeah it's just a weird episode and i don't know and i can't say uh, nah i'll make a bad joke but i won't okay <laughs> Let's go. Right. Pro- probably wise but anyway uh <laughs> mogo mogo wins the challenge and they win uh, vegetables and they win basically like filet mignon shish kebabs which they then grill up and eat and we get the fun scene with ethan eating it well i have to say there's a really great little alicia character moment right at the end of the challenge when probes is like sadly shapira nothing for you and at least just like whatever whatever it's, just, it's such a such an alicia moment yeah whatever 
Ethan, uh, Ethan likes to he likes the meat so much he wants to just rub his face in it. Rub my sleep, face in it. Wants to sleep <laughs> next to it, and then Jenna Lewis votes out the shish kebabs in the next episode. <laughs> That's good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're they're eating it, and Ethan has the fun things, and they're like, "Why don't you eat meat, Ethan?" He's like, "Off my case." But then, like, yeah. um. Uh, th- then we get everyone talking about the Sue thing, just like everyone sort of talked, you know, again, juxtapose this with the Jenna episode of uh, a couple episodes ago, the, just the fact that just the way CBS handled it, the way everyone sort of talks it out and then everyone's talking about this. I mean, the attitudes couldn't be more different. Yeah, it's really weird that they don't let Sue go out with a moment of dignity. That The next 10 minutes is people dancing around it and mocking her. Yeah, not not just not just the Tom dance because everyone remembers that the ding dong the witch is gone. Yeah, Kathy, of, you're talking Kathy. Yeah, it's Kathy's confessional where Kathy's like, you know, Sue. She's like, I didn't like her for it. You know, I'm sorry. You gotta like, you gotta contain your emotions. You know, I was offended. What? Well, God, what's the quote? She says something like, I was offended. She would bring us into her core of that deep into her core of hatred. Yeah, yeah, that's I, what I, it is. I didn't like that she would bring us that far into her core of hatred. I don't know if that's mean spirited, but that's how I feel. That is. That is harsh. That is really harsh. Well, that's the thing. I don't necessarily disagree with her. I mean, that's the thing. She was just angry at everybody. Like, Kathy's like, what did I do to you? That's, that's the thing. Sue was just angry at everybody in that scene. It was weird. Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily disagree with her. Although, again, Kathy, not the most diplomatic of speakers. No, not the, no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I was going to think of the equivalent of saying that, that Sue's yeah. was a, ca- a cancer on the drive. Yeah. But, like... Boy, yeah, you she, know, uh, uh, she, raped, she raped our morale. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 thank you. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, you should you should should have heard the joke that I held back from a couple minutes ago. I, oh God, save it for Twitter. <laughs> exactly, that'll be the extended director's cut of this episode. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we you know, and unlike anything, like we ended Jenna's episode, we get the nice music, the 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 words about Jenna's mother, and then like. You know, didn't Kathy like have a nice thing to say or something like during like the final words section and stuff like yeah. that? And then this one, like the ending scene again, we don't get a tribal council, but it's not just, you know, a shot of Sue leaving because we had the challenge afterwards. Then we had them eating the Mogo Mogo, eating the rewards. So then we had like Shapira and they're just eating the rice. And, you know, Tom had just done his his ding dong. The witch is gone uh, dance and stuff like that. And, you know, they're eating rice and they're they're, you know, loving that and, you know, talking about how, you know, they're they're now a stronger tribe and you know uh it's just you know amber has a moment i think this is this is really like amber's winning sort of thing where she's like we're the happy tribe we're going to keep things happy this is what we do we don't focus on the sad we focus on the happy you know we have high highs and low lows but we don't think about the low lows too much like this is like total amber is the greatest sort of confessional and it it sort of ends the episode and then like the there's no words at the end it's just done yeah i was gonna say Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, Amber has a lot of winner quotes, winner hints along the way if you look. It's really not a surprise that she wins if you're looking for all the hints. Yeah. And it's just interesting because every time they show a confessional where people are talking about other people, Amber will always be positive. She's always says something nice about someone else. Never at one point does she slam anybody. Combine, combine that with Boston Rob, every single time he talks about somebody, he's slamming them or saying something mean. It's just kind of an inter- interesting little juxtaposition where... To this day, a lot of people still don't know why Amber won and Boston Rob lost. I'm like, well, look at it right there because the way they react to people, like Amber's very positive and Rob likes to tear people down. Yeah, the last the last shot of this episode, besides the uh, the final words with just shots of nature, is really interesting because it's 
Rob sitting in the swing eating rice out of coconut saying this is what Survivor is all about. And like that's such a weird thing to me because I don't know if it's the editors trying to make the audience forget about the Sioux incident and say like this is what Survivor is all about. It's about people living on an island or whether they were just saying this is what Survivor is all about in an episode which was full of like weird strategy talk and women accusing other men of sexual abuse. Yeah, it's just weird. It's not, Again, there's no other episode in Survivor history that's anywhere near like this one. It's just bouncing ping-pongs back all over the place in, in tone and really what story they were trying to tell. I think we can be done with this one. Yeah, let's move on because we have two episodes coming up here. I'd kind of like to rush through and finish on this podcast because I don't think either one is interesting whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, fun. it's funny. I was watching All-Stars. And I remember not liking All-Stars. And I remember not liking it because of the Boston Rob Leck stuff and everything, all the nastiness that comes after that. But I was watching it this morning, and I'm like, these episodes leading up to Boston Rob and Lex are boring. Like, I'd forgotten about that. It's just kind of a bummer. There's no fun. There's really nothing fun about this season anymore. And we're not to the ominous stuff yet, but we got to get through. We got through Sue quitting. We got through that stuff. Again, the next two are completely boring episodes, and I hope I'm not sure if you guys feel that way too. But I really was finding myself just struggling to get through them today. I mean, it seems it seems very run of the mill, and I think it's just because we see a lot because it's the same exact actions in each episode, which is Shapiro wins the challenge and Mogo Mogo goes, and then this Lex gets the power and he gets rid of the strong athletic male. It's kind of like episode eight is almost like watching a rerun of episode seven. So I think that kind mm-hmm. of that kind of nails the point home. Yeah. Yeah, it's just the tone. The tone. It's a completely different season now than it was the first three episodes if you watch these ones. It's a completely different show. I'll tell you one of the reasons why I think that is. And I think the reason is, is that we had the distraction of Saboga in the first uh, several ones. It's not just, oh, they voted. I mean, yes, they voted out awesome people at the beginning. And Richard's gone. And, you know, Rudy's gone. I, I get that. And, and I'm buying that for a dollar. But what I will also say is that Saboga is was a nice distraction. Like we had Shapira being, you know, fun and whatever and winning, and we had Mogo Mogo just being the total sticks in the mud. And then we had Saboga to kind of, you know, just be the inept whatever, right? And you know, things like that. Now Saboga's gone, and so now like half of the episode is just buzzkill Mogo Mogo. It is. That's a good point. Again, it's really noticeable when you're looking for it. The music, the tone, everything is just different when they're showing Mogo Mogo. And it just completely sucks all the energy out of the season. It, it just it makes it... I saw a production... Okay, really quick tangent. I, I just went to a, a, a production um, a show, and it's like, look, I, I see... You know, I've seen people on stage be bad actors. You know, it happens. Someone's not that great. It's okay though, you know. You just watch them, and you're like, "Oh, that person's kind of bad." And you know, you just you, you just mark it down in your head, and, and you kind of go. But every once in a while, there's an actor that's so bad on stage, they make everybody else bad around them. Like they they take a scene and just make it worse with everything. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a skill. That's a really really tough skill. And it's like Mogo Mogo is a tribe. They're not the worst tribe ever. They really aren't. They're second place. They have a lot of, you know, great people that that are on the tribe, but just that tribe as far as like television television interest and just positive attitude and you know just being, you know, a general, 
something that you're watching going like, this is a good use of my time. Mm-hmm. It almost just makes it so like this negative vortex of something. It's just like, no, <laughs> it, every time like a Mogo Mogo comes on, I'm like, Oh God, Mogo Mogo. And I feel, I feel bad saying that because it's like, I like Lex and uh-huh. I like Kathy and you know, God help me. I kind of like Sheehan and like, I like these people. And it's like watching a scene with Mogo Mogo. It's like, I, I'm not getting paid doing this, but I would like to be because it is very, very tough. <laughs> would you say we're being sucked into their core of hatred, Jay? Core of hatred? I don't know about hatred, but core <laughs> of something. Yeah, it's just it's just a core of not fun. All right, let's let's skim through this episode. If you guys don't know which episodes we're talking about, we're talking about Colby and Ethan going out back to back here. And so, this, yeah, I was gonna, this episode starts with. The Mogo Mogo sitting around and trashing Jerry, saying how she's horrible and she's a bad seed. So I do, just, I do like the Kathy. I swear she's such a bitch. I know it's just it's just such a mean spirited tone. This episode's going to start taking. Well, it's tough. Is you know, Kobe's like Jerry hasn't changed one iota. I mean, it's like Jerry hasn't been like the biggest worker bee on planet Earth, you know. And Kobe obviously respects that. And I mean, Jerry this time is trying to. She's outspoken and you know complaining about things, which is getting on everyone's nerves. But it's like Jerry is now like I'm going to fly under the radar. Like she tried to, she tried to take control in Australia, you know, like lead an alliance. And this time she's just like I'm going to find some alpha and hook up with them. You know, and she found Lex and she's going to do it. And Colby doesn't have any respect for it. But it's like, look, you know, Colby's just looking for something with Jerry. And he sees that Jerry's not working too much. And so Colby's like, nope, don't like her. And then Kathy and Sheehan don't like her. So it's all we don't like Jerry. And that, that's really the tone for the next 40 minutes. So it's wonderful to watch. Mm-hmm. So for, <laughs> for, the first, for the first time ever, besides, I think, the like first immunity challenges, which have Flint as the reward, I think this is the first officially ordained combined reward immunity challenge. Oh, they've yeah. ever done it before? I, I, don't, I don't believe so, aside from, again, like the first immunity challenge where they say you're winning Flint, which is technically a, re- a combined challenge, but yeah. I think this is the first time Jeff has officially declared it, which, which is why everyone was so shocked about it, because it hadn't been really seen before. Oh, okay. So that leads to our current era of Survivor where there's no reward challenges ever. So once again, All-Stars, the <laughs> impetus for that ruined everything. Thank you, All-Stars. Wow. Nice, nice, nice. Did you have fun on the slippery slope there as you were, uh, you know, rolling off the edge? I dragged all you into my core of hatred, and it wasn't sort of, Jay. Kiss my ass. What a hag. <laughs> anyway, um, but this, this is funny. I, I, this is the one scene that I liked, actually, is in episode seven, is the, is the reward uh, immunity. Because they get to, they have to go out and unclip big puzzle pieces and basically get a boat together and then paddle the boat somewhere. And then they have to run into the forest, get paddles and then paddle back. Right. And the winner gets immunity and they get the reward, which is basically hang out on a multimillion dollar yacht and stuff your face with food. I did sort of like this scene. Oh, and they get to kidnap somebody, which is, you know, going to break the, you know, monotony of everything. Right. Mm -hmm. But what I like about the scene is that again, it's the whole, you know, I always say that Jenna Lewis is bad at challenges, and Jenna Lewis is one of the reasons why Saboka was so bad at challenges. But they kept mentioning that Ethan like panics and challenges. Yeah. Oh, Ethan, you had a horrible challenge this time. Charlie Brown can't. Charlie win. Brown. Not not only. I mean, everyone always remembers that you know he you know Mogo Mogo was actually first to get to the running portion, and then Ethan couldn't get the oars untied, and you know he totally blows that lead. But like. Let's not forget, like, the fact that he's trying to get the slats on the boat, and he, like, hammers this one slat in with the oar and breaks yep. the oar. <laughs> yep. So Sheehan has to, like, paddle with this literally just the paddle part of the oar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and it's good. But anyway, Shapiro wins because, you know, Ethan blows it. And uh, they choose to kidnap Kathy on the boat. And uh, so they get to hang out on a multi-million dollar yacht. And it's really funny because, like, they are just, like, super excited to be on this yacht. And Kathy's like, you guys! You know, which is, you know, a great Kathy thing and, and, and stuff like that. But, like, looking at the food, like, they're just like, oh, there was hot dogs and burgers and stuff like that. You guys ever been at, like, a resort in, like, a, in a Caribbean country or, like, Mexico or something like that? Yeah, yeah. It's resort food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like it's not the it's not the greatest on planet Earth. Now, granted, if I'm starving on an island forever, you know, I'm gonna take whatever. I'm not beggars can't be choosers. But like, they're just like, this is the best food I've ever. Had. I'm like, it's resort food. Mother McGrady, they got potato chips. <laughs> I was I was saddened because Rupert has this confessional where he lists all these foods that they have, but unfortunately, there was no hunk of lamb. There was no hunk of lamb, <laughs> and he's like getting there. He's like, there's pickles and. <laughs> cucumbers or you know he's lettuce once he's like there's a lettuce and I'm, I'm like iceberg lettuce that you put on your hamburger like uh, okay dude whatever i can't believe we were, we were robbed of amber commenting on how amazing the food was that kills me yeah she just she's just shrieking the whole time they, we get the fun scene in the back where they're trying to you know hit the golf balls in the water Oh yeah. yeah, Rob. Rob talks about how he's like on his state championship golf team and then hits a ball and immediately eats it. Yeah, well, that scene makes me nervous because they're swinging golf clubs and Rupert is literally four feet to their left, about to take a, a driver right to the face. Every time I watch that, I keep thinking he's going to get hit, and for some reason he doesn't. He doesn't even flinch. He doesn't move. He's just right next to them swinging. To, to give to give Rob a little bit of credit, and I'm not a Boston Rob apologist, but it's funny because he does the first one until he biffs it, which is like a great scene, right? Like, oh, it was a state golf team or whatever, and he like biffs it. But you see, like in the the subsequent shots because there's a montage of, of of the different survivors taking swings with the golf club and like everyone's pretty terrible but you see Robbie's getting some good hits out there like you know I think it was just a footing thing but it is funny that he's like ha 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 and then he biffs it and then later he like you know loses the club it like goes in the water <laughs> who's cackling in the background in that do you know who that is uh, I'm trying well, to remember someone is cackle it, I mean Kathy you know when she laughs right. maybe Jenna it might, be. it might be Jenna, yeah, because it's not Amber. It's uh, clearly not Rupert or Big Tom. Alicia wouldn't laugh at that tomfoolery. Yeah, Alicia's so angry that she couldn't possibly laugh at that. Like someone's just cackling at Rob. It's 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 a fun little thing. It could be Jenna Lewis. I you know, and then and then they get then they they let them out and go to a waterfall where they get to play, and we get we get a fun thing with Kathy, and again homage back to the Marquesas waterfall thing where Kathy is you know at the top, and it's you know fun and full of symbolism stuff like that but they're like there's every dessert you can have and i'm like resort desserts it's like (laughs) little torts and you know things like that i'm sure it was delicious and again i would stuff my face just like everyone else out there but like at the same time resort food they were hungry jay i know what are you gonna do but then kathy uh, kathy has these great confessionals here and this whole thing where she's just like you know what we're not having is we're not having fun they're having fun because they're singing and dancing and you know doing all that stuff and it's like that's one of the the dirty secrets, I think, of Survivor. Everyone always talks about, like, I need to go on Survivor, and I need to have, you know, these plans, and I need to split votes, and I need to find this idol, this, and, and that. And it's like, yeah, in the modern game, that those things exist, and you need to think about those things. But it's like, you need to think about more fundamental things, like get along with people. Try to have fun out there. Make fun out there. Like, live life. Like, you know, do what everyone else is doing and just have a good time about it. And a lot of things are going to fall into place after that. You know who else wasn't having fun was the audience. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to bring uh, you down. Bring down your awesome point. Of the audience. <laughs> yes, exactly. She's like, a, yeah. 
And the, and the other thing I want to, you know, and Kathy talks about debating a flip, but that's all irrelevant later. We don't need to talk about it. But the one thing I did like was that when Mogo Mogo gets back from the challenge, you know, Ethan apologizes, you know, oh, you know, I blew it. I'm sorry. And, you know, and they're all like, that's okay, Ethan. It's all our faults and blah, blah, blah. And he's just like, no, man, I, I blew it. And it's funny because he's talking with, you know, and first of all, Kobe's like, right on. And then later on, like, he's sitting around with Lex and, you know, Lex's like, so, uh, you want to talk about it? <laughs> Yeah, this, this episode's called Sorry, I Blew It, which is the first title I think that could apply to two different castaways. <laughs> Very good. But anyway, uh, yeah, so that's that's that. And and uh, then what, Tribal Council then? Or, oh no, we've got, there's all the interplay going up to Tribal Council where... Uh, well, yeah, we got to go a exact repeat of Lex before where he's going to vote out Colby now. now. This is business. It's all different this time. You know, we heard that before, whatever. Uh, yeah, this is where... This is where we start making the difficult votes. It's Lex pulls aside Jerry. This is where we got to start making the difficult votes. And uh, this is business now. Lex basically says, I'm going to play Survivor different this time. This is the first time he's ever going to vote out a friend or an ally. So it's, it, that's, it's kind of a different Lex thing. That's not how he played Africa, but he's going to go a little different here. And again, he's going to get an inordinate amount of shit for this later. But I'm just pointing it out at this point that Lex is changing his strategy from Africa. This is the first vote he's ever had to vote out a friend. Yep, and and people, you know, obviously Jerry is like all about this, right? Oh yeah, but like you know, other like mm -hmm. Shean is there, and it's funny because you know Shean Colby called Shean out for playing this under the radar game, and it's funny because like Lex and and then one are saying, all right, Shean, we're gonna vote out Colby, and Shean's just like, but Kathy's not here to tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not sure if Colby would have gone had Kathy been there. It would have been interesting because Kathy was Lex's safety valve a little bit. So I mean, like the voice of reason. So it would have been interesting had Kathy been there. But yeah, when Lex is calling the shots, I mean, he's going to start taking out his allies, and this is where the season's going to start to get really tricky and sticky for people. Yep. And so Colby leaves and, uh, you know, smiles, you know, to the cameras as, as he's giving his final words, but he doesn't look back. He's just gone. Yeah. That's about, I mean, that's, that's it. Colby was a major character in Australia. He doesn't really, he has kind of a, forgettable ending in All-Stars. I even forgot that he was the episode after Seward until I watched it. I'm like, oh, that's this one. I didn't realize he was so soon. It just, yeah, I, I always mix him and Ethan up. I always mix him and Ethan up just because, as we talked about, they're like pretty synonymous episodes. But it also doesn't help that the next episode is called Pick a Tribe Mate, which, yeah. does it, which you would apply more to the, to the yacht thing than to mm -hmm. what they do next episode, which is pretty useless. Hmm. Yeah. There's that, and you know, and I, I think Colby's heart just wasn't in it. Like he was out there, he did it, but you know, he got voted out. He's like, all right, yeah. Really, if anything, it just helps. He doesn't really have a storyline. Any, if anything, it just helps Jerry's storyline. Oh, she got further than Colby. Good for Jerry. I mean, that's really Colby's legacy in All Stars for the most part. Yeah, yeah I think I think, he, I think he did have a period of time. I remember Jerry did give a confessional after Richard's boot, where like. Colby was the like the new Richard Hatch of the tribe. So I maybe he had like a, he had a period of like two episodes. I guess from episodes like five to five and seven of like him being this kind of slightly douchey strategic player. But yeah. that's about it. Yeah, he unfortunately just kind of falls into that spot in the season where you don't remember him. Right around before the merge, right after merge, you don't tend to remember those players so much. But anyway. As they vote people out, Propes is like, Kathy will be waiting for you when you get back. And so the next episode starts with Kathy sitting there. She just got off the yacht. She's in the dark. And it's funny that she got there before they were done with Tribal Council. So then, you know, the rain comes down. She's keeping a fire going. 
Yep. And she has a great quote. This is when she finds out that Colby went home and she says, she sees everyone's spirits are down and she's like, I think it's too late to rally this tribe. It's kind of, yeah. I mean, it's like, great. Thanks, Kathy. Thanks for giving us hope as viewers. Like, we thought maybe there'd be a comeback, but there will be no comeback. Well, she also says something like, you know, Colby was kind of holding us back. Like, we were just a tribe in the middle. It's like, wow, let's just let it all out. Yep. And then I think there's a great quote from Ethan here where he's, he's shocked that Colby went home and he didn't know it was going to happen. Boy. Ethan's a little worried now about Lex because Lex didn't tell him that was coming. And Ethan's like, I'm a little worried now. I'm not as close to Lex as I thought I was. Boy, so, do I feel silly. Yep. <laughs> That's Charlie like Brown. a perfect Charlie Brown quote. <laughs> I know. I thought this time they would hold the football. <laughs> uh, All right, what do we got here? I'm turning. I'm skimming. I have almost no notes for this episode because I didn't think anything was worth writing about. Yeah, well, I mean, so I guess the the big quote unquote twist of this episode is that in a I guess in a sort of take on the Thailand slash slight Amazon situation, they each tribe has to pick a tribe to send to the other camp. Oh, yeah. yeah. Who do they pick? Jenna and Kathy, right? To go over mm-hmm. and look at items they're going to take. Yeah, Shapira. It's funny because Shapira draws straws because nobody wants to really go because they don't know what the twist is going to be. Mm-hmm. And Jenna drew the short straw, and I'm, I'm surprised they cut out the bit where she was like, hey, no fair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no way. My straw is totally longer than other people's. But anyway, uh, uh, then Kathy's just like, you know, again. Select one tribe member and Mogo Mogo, the no fun tribe. They all just probably stared at the note for like 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And then Kathy's like, I'll go. They know me. And everyone's like, all right. Okay. By the way, there's a really telling moment here in this scene that a lot of people might not have caught. There's this variable going on in All-Star Survivor. We're going to talk about it a ton in part three, this pregame alliance, the Boston Rob, Lex, Tom, and Kathy thing where they kind of agreed to work together. There was rumors all throughout the season that the other players kind of knew that there was this uh, pregame alliance or a lot of people knew it as the Africa alliance. The Africa people would kind of stick together. And what's funny is when they're about to send uh, Jenna over to Mogo Mogo, Tom even makes a joke about the pregame alliance, the Africa alliance. He tells Jenna, oh, go over there and see if Ethan and my alliance is still on. And it's kind of funny if you don't know the history of the, the, a lot of the show and what was going on behind the scenes, you wouldn't even catch what he's talking about. That he's joking about the fact that everyone thinks there's this Africa alliance that these guys are all going to team up after the merge. So Tom's joking about it right in the open right there. Which works because I think that, you know, you know I, I didn't know that at the time. Like at the time I took it as face value that he was making a joke about, you know, just his old, you know, because he and Ethan were obviously, you know, an alliance in Africa. So, you know. <laughs> Double du- double works there. Mm-hmm. But anyway, right, so the reward challenge. We'll get up to the reward challenge where they're spinning the log, the old lumberjack challenge. Yeah, which Amber like crushes people at. <laughs> of course, you know, the greatest competitor in Survivor history, Amber, rises to the challenge yet again. God. The only other thing I remember about this challenge is Lex face first into the wheel at one point. Lex, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Lex face first in the wheel, and you know, Boss and Rob actually doing pretty well again. But yeah, Amber actually just crushes it for her tribe. <laughs> it's we were just watching this episode right before we did this podcast, my wife and I, and and my wife's like Jeff Probst looks weird in this challenge. But if you look at him, he's all stubbly, he's got stubble, and he's all sweaty and tan. It looks he just doesn't look like Jeff Probst in this episode. He looks like someone coming off like a like some kind of drug addiction or something. Just, maybe uh, maybe Sue yelling at him like sent him on a bender. It could be maybe yeah. Uh, never it's like what am I doing that. with my life? Exactly. That was the moment he was going to quit. 
So anyway, the, the twist when they had to go over to the other tribes was that they had to write down three things that they would take. And so Shapira wins, and so they're going to take um, the grill, a bag of rice, and something. Uh, what? I don't oh, care. the Hawaiian sling. That was it. <laughs> no, it's the Hawaiian sling. So anyway, one thing I want to mention, we did skip over the fact that, like, you know, Jerry has her catharsis moment where she, you know, knock, knock, my survivor baggage is clean because I voted out Colby. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to your whole thing of looking at Australia from Jerry's perspective. Colby is like the biggest rat on planet Earth. Absolutely. That's, yeah. Do you want to talk about that for a second? Just to remind people about that? Yeah. Yeah, that's the... Go ahead. ahead. There you go. I was going to say, if you watch Australia, just don't look at the way you know Australia. Look at it from Jerry's point of view. It's a whole different story where she has her friends at the start of the episode. It's her, it's Mitchell, it's Colby, probably Tina was in there. And they were going to run it to the end, and it was going to be her and Colby, who was her boyfriend, basically, for the most part, that they were kind of a romantic thing in her mind, that that's where it was headed. And then Colby backstabs her at the Mitchell vote, episode four. And she totally held that against him the entire game, because, like, you know, you scorned your lover, you're not going to forgive that. So over the years, Tina gets a lot of credit for that, that backstab where they voted out Mad Dog and then Mitchell. But to Jerry's mind, Colby was the one who did that. Colby was absolutely the asshole in Australia, to the point that, she thought he was the villain all along, that Keith was the conceited one, cocky one. Colby was the asshole who ruined her game, who just turned on his girlfriend. It's one of these things that if you get to the end of Australia, Jerry was probably shocked when she watched those episodes and realized that she was the bad guy. She's like, what? Colby's the hero and I'm the bad guy? So it's one of those things that she finally got her revenge on Colby, where, again, if you look at Australia, he totally cost her a win in her mind, that they were the power couple, they were going to go to the end, they were going to go together, and then one of them was going to win, and, and he got greedy and took that away from his girlfriend. So, yeah, you can see why she was so pissed in All-Stars, why it was such a big deal that she got further than the guy that she blamed for costing her the win in Australia. So, anyway, back to, uh, to this. So, Jenna then has to go back to Mogo Mogo and, and steal the things. And it's funny because she comes and it's actually a really nice gesture when you think about it, but leave it to Jenna Lewis to give us a great confession. We'll sort of screw it up. But like, you know, Jenna Lewis is coming and, you know, she comes and says, sorry, I have to take the stuff, but, uh, you know, I brought you, you know, a bar of soap and a scrubby brush and, you know, she, she gets them a couple things that Shapira has from some of their reward challenge wins. And it actually is a really nice gesture because they didn't have to do that. And they did. But then Jenna has this thing where she's like, look, I didn't, you know, she's telling the camera after, she's like, look, I don't have to come and steal these things. That's the game, though. But, you know, it was nice for me to, you know, it was nice that I came and it was nice that I came and brought them things so that I can say, look, here's some things that you don't have. Good job, Jenna. You did it. It's so she's nice. a missionary. She's a missionary. Yeah, you are a saint. But then, <laughs> of course, then they were like, we don't have all the rice because some of it was rotted when they opened up their box. And so they're negotiating <laughs> with Jenna, like keeping the scoops. But I mean, you could just see like Lex and everything like, oh, my God. <laughs> and true to Jenna form, she's like, you don't have all the rice. You cheated. You said you had rice. Cheaters. Sorry. And then, you know, we get, we get, we get two, we get two making outs in the next scene. We, we do capture Boston Robin Amber's kiss which I know, Mario, you want to talk about forever. Oh, yeah, it's like, well, I can imitate Rupert. Rob and Amber playing kissy face, sucky kissy face. Which is ironic, because that's what <laughs> Rupert was doing when they handed him the Hawaiian sling that was stolen from the other tribe. <laughs> yeah, they should have sent a parental advisory about Rupert and the Hawaiian sling scene. Oh, 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 oh I'm gonna go. I hope I see that big six-foot shark. I hope I see that grouper. Like, Rupert, um, no. <laughs> yes, back off, honey. <laughs> Back off, honey. Wow. 
All right, yeah, so Rupert gets his Hawaiian sling. He immediately pops a stiffy. Um, what else we got here? Yeah, Robin Amber playing Kissy Face. And this is this is where it starts turning into The Bachelor. This is where the season gets really heavy on the romance, where we get about five minutes of Boston Robin Amber with the love music, them caressing, talking about each other. We get the kiss. Now I'm like, I'm sorry. I know a lot of people love the beauty of that moment. I remember just thinking, oh, please, we're going to turn into The Bachelor now? Are you kidding me? That's where the season's going? That was my immediate reaction at the time. Well, it's not only that. It's it's. I love the juxtaposition. Like, I don't love the scene, but I do love the juxtaposition that's going on. Because, like, you know, they show them, like, you know, caressing, and then they show the kiss in, in the darkened cam, which is just a nice little kiss moment. But, like, Amber is giving this, you know, fun little thing where she's like, never in a million years did I think that, you know, I would, you know, be safe with somebody out here. And, you know, I feel safe with Rob. And, you know, she's saying, like, all this really, like, nice stuff. You know, it has been documented that Amber has said some really nice things about the beginning of the relationship with, you know, the love of her life and her husband and the father of her children and stuff like that. And and Rob's like, Amber and I, we've been fooling around for a bit. Yeah. Her ass is smoking. <laughs> She's slamming. Slamming, that's it. Sorry. Yeah, but uh, I remember, to put this in historical perspective... You know, for the first seven seasons, this is something that people were always asked when they came off the show. I mean, almost every single interview, especially in the first couple seasons, was their romance out there. Did people hook up? Like, they have condoms in the, in the medical supply. Did anybody ever use them? And every survivor through seven seasons would laugh at that question. They're like, no, people stink out there. They smell. They're in horrible conditions. They're starving. They're stressed. There's no way a romance could ever possibly happen on Survivor. And this was like a rule. It was almost like a a cliche in every interview that would happen the first seven seasons. Like, stop asking us if there's going to be romance. No one could possibly find romance on Survivor. So it kind of pops up here in the eighth season. And I just remember rolling my eye. I mean, as you can imagine Jay rolling his eyes when I talk about my stories or my stories, as he pronounces them. But yeah, that was, I just imagine that times five. That was my reaction the first time. They start trying to sell us a romance on Survivor. I'm like, this is where we're going in All-Stars, that this is the romance season? Seriously. But it's- that's... Just to kind of put it into some perspective here. It's just as good as your stowries. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not sorta, Jay. Not sorta. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, that's... I know a lot of people love All-Stars. They love the romance. And I remember just thinking, if this is turning into The Bachelor, I'm fucking turning the channel. Because I'm not watching The Bachelor, and that's unfortunately what the season kind of turns into. And that's one of about nine reasons why I hate the season. It's The Bachelor and a bunch of people that watch... Yes, there you go. Yeah, once once they got the the toothpaste, it was on at that point. You know what I mean? Like it, it was on. But uh, it, what's funny is that in the next scene we get you know very briefly, and we don't need to talk about it. But the next scene's uh, that that fishing scene with Rupert and with Bo- with Boston Robin stuff like that. It's like strangely tense. Yeah, this one yeah. is really weird. Like I said, the whole thing of All Stars seemed to be just like legacy assassination. It's just kind of a mean spirited season. This whole scene. All it is is just mocking Rupert. It just dresses Rupert down to like uh, just just nothing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Rupert is so excited to go out and you know fish, and he's just like you know he's out there and he's fishing, and he gets like all these you know sort of you know fish that you could have eaten. And then you know Rob's like I'm gonna do it, you know. And then you know he's out there, and not not just in the end when he comes down back with a sack of fish, it's like Boston style. But just even then, he's just like oh you're gonna need to get me, you know. Uh, 
to to haul this whale in. I mean, he's just out there like yeah. catching things, and I mean, Rupert's like doing his nervous, <laughs> nice job. Oh my god, it's weird coming off Rupert as America's hero that everyone loves that they would include that whole segment in an episode. It's like what? Either I mean, you're trying to make Boston Rob look like a badass or a dick. I mean, either one of the way, either one. But it's like it's just so weird. You just bury Rupert in the edit like that. Let's totally make him out to be a farce in front of this huge audience that loves Rupert. It's well, just weird. And the other thing is that like this is our alliance of four that's going to carry its way through the game. Rob, Amber, Rupert, Jenna, right? And it's mm-hmm. like Rupert even has an interview here. Where, like you know, Rob has just been slamming everyone. So Rob saying negative things about somebody is not surprising, right? Because Rob's yeah. just like look. The Hawaiian sling doesn't eat rice, so Rupert's stock went down. But, like, Rupert is like, sometimes I like Boston Rob. Other times he's Boston pain in the ass. And it's like, this, I mean, and then later on in some episode way later, and I'm sure we'll come up to it at some point, but, like, he's talking about Jenna, and he's like, I I don't like Jenna very much, and I'm very sorry I have an alliance with her. (laughs) Like, this this alliance of four is, like, sniping at each other the whole time. And it's, like, it doesn't make you feel good when, like, the winning alliance is, like, angry with each other. (laughs) Well, you can draw a parallel to Exile Island with the whole Kasaya. They all all hated each each other. But if you watch that one, Aris is, like, a beacon of of common sense in the middle of it all. So there's one person that stands out. In All-Stars, they don't really show anybody standing out, except, again, Amber never says anything mean about anybody. That's really the extent of what they do to her. Yeah, I guess I guess it's the thing of like if there's at least one person in your alliance who you like, which was sort of the case with the Kasaya group. They, I think they all each had at least one point person that they at least were able to to simp- to be able to talk to and get along with. And I think Amber was kind of Amber was the glue of that alliance just because I feel like Rob and Rupert are such big personalities that ordinarily they would totally be facing off against each other. And Jenna, of course, is a wild card that I don't think anyone really truly wants to interact with, but. If you have at least one person to talk to in Amber, I think that that makes for at least a semi-strong alliance that can get you to the end. Yep, that's a good point. It's but yeah, the, the the whole Rupert versus Rob thing, that's just, I mean, Rob's sitting there going to like, you know, his beard's not as bushy as you think, ladies. Uh, <laughs> just yeah. shooting down every male survivor contestant. Yeah, that's really what Rob does. Every single other male survivor he's going to slam at some point this season. Just because Rafa? he can. Rafa's not a good construction worker as you think, ladies. <laughs> there you go. How dare you blaspheme Rafa, <laughs> Rob? You know, Ru- Rudy's not as grizzled as you think, ladies. <laughs> All right, what do we got here? Uh, the, then it's the uh, it's the immunity challenge, right? Which is like uh, oh yeah, <laughs> blowguns blow and all the other stuff. Yeah, the blowgun, the spear, and the archery, and, like, nobody can hit anything. So it's the most pointless challenge since, like, the stilts and Marquesas, where nothing happens. Nothing is as pointless as the stilts and Marquesas. <laughs> I, I, I know you're trying. Like, perhaps the kite flying in Marquesas. But... <laughs> No, it, it's bad. Like, in the blowgun, it's like... And we just came off of Pearl Islands, where, like, Rupert was, like, better than everyone except for Burton at blowgunning, right? Like, you know... He he was in that game like the killer, you know the 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 hunter or killer or whatever it was, and and the strikes and stuff like that. Like Rupert was just nailing things on that blow dart board, and then they get this challenge where it's like make a you know closest one to hit the blow dart thing wins arrows for the tribe or whatever, and it's Jerry who like gets on the board. She barely and then, hits it, yeah. and she barely hits the board. She's like on the edge, and like everyone else misses, and like Rupert misses. Like, dude, you're supposed to be good at this. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what was up with that challenge, but again, this this whole episode is just so uninteresting, and this 
this uh, immunity challenge could not be more fitting <laughs> for any episode than this one. It just absolutely fits because it's pointless and boring. Yeah, it's just it's just funny because like, um, you know, the blow dart one is like Jerry is actually the one that does well for her tribe. She like connects, and then the spear one like Jerry, you know, like smacks target, but then like, um, you know, that's the one that sticks and and whatnot. So like, you know, it was just a weird, just a a weird thing. And then they get to the end, and then you know Jerry has the arrows or whatever, and and Rob hits one. Like it was just all about like someone getting one, except for the spear. <laughs> the bare you know what? minimum challenge. <laughs> when I think of Survivor Legends squaring off in games of skill, what I picture is Jerry barely hitting the target once and winning. Yeah. It's like she she barely hits the target once and she wins. And then in the spear one, like she hits and then Rupert hits, I think, a good spear shot. And then everyone else, you know, like a couple of people stuck one, but it wasn't as, as better shot. So like the spear was the most successful. And then they get to the bow one and it's like Rob hits the target once and it wasn't like the best hit ever. Yeah. And that was it. That's all you needed. All I'm saying is that if there was a Sporkle quiz on name the immunity challenges in Survivor history, this is like one of the last ones that anybody would ever name it to get like 3% on the answers because no one would remember this one. Yeah, but again, it's it's a fun thing in the early part of the game because uh, this is the same thing as you said. This is now Lex is going to vote out Ethan, right? So then we get this whole thing. There's some interesting stuff in here, but it's just kind of whatever. But it's fun that like Lex is telling Jerry, like, we're going to vote out Ethan, and Jerry's like, I thought you'd vote me out because I couldn't hit the arrow target. And it's like, oh, Jerry, that's not how we play Survivor. <laughs> well, Colby made a very poignant quote in the last episode that I don't think this is the game for Jerry. <laughs> of course, Colby got voted out, but it, the quote still kind of rings true at certain times. Which is funny because, I mean, obviously, you know, if you're talking about who came closer to winning a game of Survivor, obviously Colby will beat out Jerry. But it's like, you know, I feel like if if all the weird stuff didn't happen with the Lex and Boston Rob stuff, I think Jerry's sitting in a oddly decent spot here. I'm not saying she would have won. And then in Heroes versus Villains, I mean, she was a legit threat to win that game mm-hmm. at the end. So it's like, I don't think this game is cut out for Jerry Manthe. I would beg to differ. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, what's interesting is this episode is, you know, Ethan's going home, Lex is going to vote out a friend, it's all business, blah, blah. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, in part three. But uh, what's interesting is that he pulls Ethan aside. He's like, well, I don't want to blindside my friend. I'm going to tell him because it's the noble thing. It's the honorable thing. Now, it's funny because this move almost makes Lex seem like more of a dick because that's the way Ethan kind of takes it. And it's funny because Lex did this exact same thing with Clarence in Africa and people thought he was kind of a dick then. Like, it's not really more noble to tell them you're going to be voted out. I mean, it's, it's, that's the thing. It, it, it seems like it is on paper, but it's kind of a harsh thing to do. And then the whole conversation kind of gets weird with Lex and Ethan. It's just that Lex thinks that's the noble thing to do, but it's not really the right thing to do in a lot of circumstances. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, it's just, it's it's really hard because I feel like this is really the first time that we we see a a true true friendship, then one that we've actually seen on TV on a season really see it break down, and that's tough, you know, especially for our our Charlie Brown who now he's <laughs> really backed himself into a corner, and there's absolutely no way we can get out of it, and we can we really see his frustration, and it's 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 pretty sad. Yeah, this is a sad scene. And again, Lex has a quote here where he says, I can't afford ballast, I can't afford dead weight, I can't drag a former winner along just because we're friends. Now, there's two things about that quote that are particularly interesting. One is, Ethan's still a former winner, and Lex is totally on board with former winners don't belong here just like everybody else. Again, she got to defend Jenna Lewis. She's not the only one with that mentality. They all think that. <clears throat> the other thing is, 
Lex is going to get a lot of flack for this vote. This comes up later where where people will say, uh, you know, it's not business, it's not friendship, it's business. How could Ethan, how could Lex vote out a friend of his like that? Because it comes back later with the Boston Rob stuff where Lex looks like a huge hypocrite. But again, we got to bring up this pregame alliance thing that, that really overshadows or underscores everything that's going on at All-Stars from about here on out where Lex, Boston Rob are in this kind of alliance pregame that they're going to stick together, vote out the winners and take it to the end. Ethan is not in that alliance. Ethan was never in that alliance. The alliance is really Lex and Boston Rob. So it's not the same thing later when Boston Rob votes out Lex because Boston Rob and Lex was an alliance. Lex and Ethan was not an alliance. And I'm really getting tired over the years of kind of hearing that brought up in. There's a lot of reasons to trash Lex. This one really isn't one of them because Ethan was not in his alliance and the Africa alliance has no bearing on on All-Stars. That was I, Africa. That was, I know, go ahead. I know you're going to rebut that. So whatever, go for Well, it. I'm rebutting it because I'm saying, how does that matter? How is that saying, like, you know, they had a pregame alliance and yeah, Rob broke it, but like, how is that any better? Like, obviously, like Lex and Ethan were friends, you know, and yeah. the thing is, is not only are they good friends, they, they were possibly better friends than Lex and Rob were, even though I know that Lex and Rob were also friends outside the game. Yeah. But like, you know, we as a survivor audience, we can tangibly understand Lex and Ethan working together because they had already worked together in a season. And I understand that pregame alliances are not something that an audience can see and yeah. stuff like that. And so Lex feels a, cut a little bit more deep because Rob betrayed this pregame alliance and all stars. But it's like, how are we supposed to know that? And how can we judge that? Like, well, him breaking Ethan's heart on this one thing is 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 okay but like rob breaking the pregame alliance on lex is bad to me it's the same yeah see that's the thing all-stars is a weird season and that's all you can really say is it's a weird season because there was lots of variables the producers could not put into the episode there's a lot of things going on here and it comes up later in the season it comes up in the reunion people are shouting out accusations left and right there was this all this pregame alliance stuff and again that's what it really comes down to Lex and Rob were an alliance, and you don't vote out your alliance partner. And that's really what it comes down to, that Ethan and Lex are not an alliance. They have no affinity towards each other other than being friends. And it's, just, it's not the same. Like, Lex faces huge retaliation later, or Rob faces huge retaliation later for, vote, for breaking his alliance. Lex doesn't technically break his alliance at any point in this, episode, in this season. His alliance, the pregame thing, stays along all to the end. So, again, I, it's, it's hard to, again... The audience wouldn't know this. It's only if you know the realities of All-Stars. And all I can say is, again, one of the nine or ten reasons why I hate All-Stars is there were huge, significant variables about the season that the producers were not able to include in the storyline. They just weren't. They were hamstrung. You can't say that people made all these pre-game stuff and show it in the season because it doesn't work with the narrative of Survivor. Right, and I understand what you're saying because yeah. you're, you're basically saying that, you know, Lex never considered, like, even with Colby and, and stuff like that, like, he didn't consider any of these people, and even Jerry, you know, as it comes, like, that he makes an alliance with, like, Lex's true alliance was the pre-game alliance. So, like, Lex yeah. likes to play a game where he's not, where he doesn't break alliances. Even though he's making these, like, temporary alliances, he's not seeing them as his thing. He's yeah. seeing the pre-game alliance thing. The fact that Boston Rob breaks it you know, is just unforgivable. Like, I totally get that. It's yeah. something I completely understand. So when you're saying like, you know, you know, Lex is going to catch a lot of flack about this and uh, all the all business, but you know, it was Rob that betrayed his pregame alliance. But it's like we're eight seasons in now. Breaking an alliance happens. Like you know, yep. I, I that that's all I'm going to say on that. I mean, I don't. I, I totally get why he flipped out, and I'm not saying he's unjustified in flipping out. And it's like Rob should probably be punished for breaking. Uh, pregame alliance and he did because lex didn't vote for him in the end yeah but it's like you know 
breaking alliances happens. I mean, it's just how it is. Yeah, well, and again, it's, we'll talk about this endlessly in the third yep. part, I'm sure. But the, the one thing I always describe, All-Stars, this is the way I describe it. And, and again, it's, it's such a weird season. I just can't really consider it a real season because this, all this pregame stuff that the producers couldn't include. They, had, they were so hamstrung by what they could show and what they couldn't. But the reality of All-Stars is, and anybody who kind of knows the, the players and just kind of knows the backstory of All-Stars knows how it went down, is basically there's an ironclad four-person alliance, this pregame thing, and then Boston Rob gets distracted along the way because he sees a pretty girl, and he basically starts voting with his boner, and he turns on his friends. And that's really kind of the reality of All-Stars, and unfortunately that's not the way it gets shown in the episodes. It drives me absolutely crazy to have to talk about All-Stars because, again, there's so many variables that we're not able to be shown on TV because the producers cannot fit it into a Survivor narrative. It's just, just a fucked up season. That's all I can say. I just hate everything about All-Stars from this point on. That's all I can say. But anyway, Ethan gets voted out. <laughs> yeah. On that note, we say goodbye to our last winner. Yeah, and it's too bad. Ethan really had a, a good storyline. I mean, he really got some spunk, got some fight in him. I thought he was a much better character in All-Stars than he was in Africa. I mean, he didn't get as far, but I think he's he's more interesting as a character than he was the first time around. Yeah, I, I will say that I think... It's weird to say, but I think what happened with Ethan was what the producers wanted out of All-Stars, which is... Let's bring together these big characters and let's see them do potentially different things, things that we would never would have expected them doing. I mean, if I was watching Africa, I don't think I would have ever expected to have Ethan come back and kind of be this smart mouth kid who is actually a really big strategic person and actually not too great at challenges. So it's interesting to see that Ethan's a kind of one of the only shining examples of here's a former survivor, here's a former character come back and he's going to completely change your view of him and if it, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a way that doesn't completely shoot his reputation to shit yeah and he's one of the few all winners that kind of emerged like that he like, became more three dimensional because of all stars as opposed to less it's, and I will say I, again I used Ethan in one of my stories my first one Hawaii and I had a ridiculously hard time trying to write Ethan he's a hard character to capture because there's almost nothing you can tell about him from Africa so I really liked him in, in All-Star. I think it was really good for him as a Survivor character, just as a legacy. I agree. I mean, I, th- I think Ethan comes off a lot better in All-Stars, and I, I think that uh, you know, any legacy that Ethan may have is, is only furthered by it. So, uh, you know, well done to you. Yeah. And we're, le- we're left with the alliance of uh, Lex and his harem. <laughs> yes. Which will become important next episode. I, I have two more things before I finish up on this episode that I wrote in my notes here. I just wrote... This Ethan vote off is like watching a snuff film. I just wrote, good lord. Like, it's just a dark, ominous, sad... I don't know, it's just... The whole tone of the season is getting really somber around this point, and this whole episode is really like that. And I have to say, before people think I'm this huge Lex apologist and I will defend anything he does, his voting comments for Ethan are among the dickest things I've ever seen Lex do. Do you remember his quote? Oh, it's it's really... Is it like, you know, it's, it's easy to win the game with Grace, but, you know, it's tougher to lose the game with Grace. Let's see how you do. Yeah, that's the exact one. Oh. It's easy to win the game with Grace and Dignity, but it's much harder to lose with that same Grace and Dignity. Let's see how you do. Like, that's just a dick thing to say to your friend. I hate to say that. Mm. So, I'm not the hugest Lex fan in the world. I think Lex was the cause of as many problems as anybody in All-Stars. I can't stand the way he played. I don't like most of his strategy or the way he presents himself in this season. But again, he's just one of many. It's just going to downward spiral all over the place from here. Sure. As if it isn't already from the Sue vote on. 
Yep, but on that, we can uh, we could probably call the end of this podcast and just say, you know, have fun, play hard, don't let the bed bugs bite. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jay's not as funny as you think, ladies. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> just waiting for a reason to call back that reference. I like that. That's good. <laughs> Paul's not as far in Germany as you think, ladies. Oh, he's, right. he's deep in Germany, man. Yeah. <laughs> he's deep pretty bad, Terry. He's deep pretty bad, Terry. Whatever the German word for Terry is, that's what we should use. <laughs> just, just yelled very loudly. Yes. Terry! Terry! Hey, Terry! <laughs> well, we got through some dark episodes of Survivor there, and I have to say my enthusiasm is, is, is waning a little bit as we get through here, and I can't say it's going to get much higher once we go to the next two episodes. What? <laughs> yes. I'm shocked. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll drag you through it, Mario. It'll be good. I don't know. What do you guys think of Survivor All-Stars at this point? Am I alone on this? No, it, I, it, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I'm, <laughs> uh, I I almost think of Survivor All Stars as a uh, as a Greek tragedy, and I feel like right now we are about to hit. We've uh, episodes like five, six, and seven are kind of like this rising action on this Greek tragedy, and uh, I think we're about to hit this climax in uh, episodes. I mean, skipping the recap in these next two episodes, I think we're about to see the real make or break decision that kind of shows the whole theme of this endgame. So it's going to be really, really interesting to talk about. The Fallout, not so much, but then again, you guys did kind of get through the post-merge in Thailand, so I feel like, <laughs> you know, you can do that, we can do anything. We had the Aaron episode to get us through. I have nothing to look forward to now. No Aaron episode. We can just periodically say, like, hey, remember in the Aaron episode when this <laughs> happened? <laughs> That's what you're here for, Temp. you got to keep our spirits up. You got it. Well, no, it's... That- that's actually a really good analogy is, is, a, is a Greek tragedy because the, the, the season centers around Robin Lex and their, and their confrontation and then obviously how it goes. But, you know, it's setting up two different things because we, we talked about it. Like, the first few episodes when Saboga's losing and Shapira's winning, like, we're focusing on how awesome and fun Shapira's having and the budding relationship between Rob and Amber, right? Which is setting up one part of it, which is Rob's love of Amber. And then we get in this thing, sort of Lex. I mean, every you know they're going out of their way to give us confessionals where Lex is like, "It's nothing personal. It's just business this time. It's just business. I'm going to cut out my friends if I have to." And so when Lex makes his decisions, and then all the Rob stuff happens, it's it's just like the coming together of this tragedy. And then you know that part's going to happen, and then we have to kind of live with it after that. So that's actually a really really decent analogy. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this season definitely loses steam, but, you know, it's it's pretty predictable because, you know, the Alliance will run the game, but then they're also determining who's going to go out, and I think people are just trying to claw for positions, just A, for a reputation, and B, for just the increased money pool. You know, we live in a, a world where Jenna Lewis finished, finished third on Survivor, right? Yeah. Okay, just pointing we, that out. We live in that, but I mean, you know, with with the way the payouts happened, I mean, that was the thing, is that they got into that Alliance the four of them, and I, I'm sure at some point they looked at Rupert and said, you know, Rupert, you're probably four. But, you know, he's like, as long as I'm four and not six or seven or something like that, I'm okay. Like, people were okay with settling for, for certain places in this season just because of the money payout, and, like, that's sad. Mm. Wow, this podcast has more of a downer ending than the Sue episode. <laughs> Sure, should I do a dance then to help bring up the mood? If only Rudy were here to comment on this, that would brighten us up. 
Well, folks, we're almost out of it. I mean, you know, we we just have the the little bit to go, and then we get to move on to Vanuatu, which I just, I mean, that season's fantastic. So you know, there's there's a light at the end of the tunnel, Mario. We just we we just got to get through some stuff. Scout, come and save me, Scout. You're my only hope. She'll start swimming. It'll take a while. It'll take a while. <laughs> we'll we'll get there. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else to say about All Stars before I go and put a shotgun in my mouth? No, right. I really don't. You, 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 go, you, go, you go right ahead. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Make sure you find out who that backup temp was in case you're going to replace me next week. <laughs> All right. Uh, hope you guys listened to us talk about a season we don't particularly like. Uh, I knew this was coming on this episode. Though. This is much like All-Stars. All-Stars was kind of the season that turned the fan base against the show where a lot of people kind of had different opinions on the show. With, uh, as opposed to other fans, which didn't really happen before the, the eighth season. This may be the season where you also turn on historians and think we're a bunch of prudes that talk crap about Survivor, which we haven't really done up to this point. So hopefully we will find something interesting to say about the last couple episodes. Uh, it well, will we be inter- came up with funny, interesting stuff in here. I mean, just the fact that, you know, the last few episodes were just kind of, you know, mm. paint by numbers. It's, it's whatever. No, this was a good podcast. We came up with some good stuff. I agree. Yeah, we'll find okay. some stuff. We'll find about Rafa. Could have been a lot worse. We'll just digitally insert Rafa into the last couple episodes. All right, so I think that's it for now. We're nearing up on three and a half hours. This is a long podcast. We've got to get out of here. Uh, once again, thank you for stopping by, Temp. One of these days I will learn your name, so I appreciate you coming by. Just say Mark and you'll be close enough. Don't right. speak to me directly. <laughs> exactly. All right, so again, if uh, you have any feedback about this episode, any questions about the third part of All-Stars, we will do our best. If you have any uh constructive criticism if you have any compliments we like compliments more than criticism or if you have anything you'd like to compliment uh mark our temp about that would be great anyway you can reach us at survivorhistorians at gmail.com and as always thank you for listening and uh, i guess as always uh this is mario lanza it's jay fisher and mike bloom and this podcast isn't as fun as you think it is ladies talk to you next time how i made it to 48 without sue hawk leading me by the hand is a mystery